The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, and we'd like to extend a quick word of thanks to those of you who have helped us keep the show ad-free, helped fund off-season research and improvements, provide feedback so we can best provide value to our community. To join us for as little as $5 per month, sign up at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. Xavier, not with us live here again this week. We're hoping next week we can get back to that. Um, you know, his schedule will clear a little bit. Mine will clear up a lot with the regular season of baseball coming to an end. So we're hoping we can figure that out for next week. But he'll be sending in... Uh, sound clips again this week, but uh, Nick, uh, much better in, in week four. Uh, it is in the books. I also enjoyed week four from a you know watching my team perspective more. Uh, I uh, my bets not so much, but uh, you mentioned it before uh, that week four was kind of the upset week, quote unquote, uh, in college football, and we had a lot of that. So uh, what what um. When, when you reflect back on week four, what is it that stands out to you the most? Yeah, I, I thought it was a really exciting week. And there is some uh, data that shows, you know, in years past, we talked about it a little off, uh, off air uh, last week, but that there's some data that shows that week four is just a really volatile week for whatever reason. And I'm not sure if it's that... Uh, you know, different projection systems uh, start to really ramp up how much their uh, 20 or, you know, their current season data is uh, used compared to previous years. And of course, uh, you know, odds makers have a, a similar process where uh, they're trying to sort of, uh, you know, toe the line between what we've seen from these teams in the first few weeks and what uh, we know about those programs historically. And and so for whatever reason, it just kind of sets up that that first, you know, whether it's the, the last week of mainly non-conference games, first week of uh, a lot of conference games just seems to lead to uh, a lot of turn, you know, a lot of upsets year over year, and we had our fair share last week. I mean, Texas A&M lost, Clemson lost, both of those is top ten teams. Uh, Iowa State lost as a top fifteen team. North Carolina was upset. A couple of those were at you know neutral site uh, or, or semi-neutral site um, stadiums. The the Texas A&M Arkansas game and, and North Carolina and Georgia Tech, but uh, still, I mean, you know, we we saw some outright upsets. Otherwise, that you know, we're just uh, fairly unexpected. Except it seems that this is the time of year where those sort of things are a little more common. And this season is, you know, it's not quite a, a complete uh, chaos season, at least just yet. But there are some signs that uh, maybe it could be. There are less dominant teams, other than you know Georgia and Alabama. Uh, doesn't seem to be any other 
you know, dominant teams out there toward the top. We've already seen Ohio State lose, uh, Clemson losing twice. Uh, so there's kind of a wide open, um, you know, race to the the playoff, basically. And, and um, they're, you know, in, in that, there's a lot of really exciting games. We saw other ranked teams really get pushed. Oklahoma had to kick a field goal at the last second to, uh, you know, beat West Virginia. Iowa, oddly, was uh, pushed by Colorado State into the second half. Michigan and Michigan State both had tough opponents that uh, you know had to win those games in the fourth quarter, or at least not lose them. And Fresno State, you know, and Auburn were were uh, having to survive, you know, far less talented teams in UNLV and Georgia State, respectively. So it was a it was a really really exciting week, just from a pure game standpoint. Uh, and then our results, you know, you alluded to, Matt, they bounce back a bit. And the uh, sort of the long-range view or, or sort of the, the bird's-eye view seems very modest. I mean, we were 29-28-1 against the spread in our official projections, so just, you know, barely over 500. Our totals were 28-28-2, so right at 500. Uh, but there were some really, really good signs. Uh, our all three agree were 12 and seven after going what four and 12 the week before. So that was, that was really, you know, I was, I was definitely happy to see that. Uh, we continue to do really, really well when the wrong team, uh, when our projection says the wrong team is favored, we went four and two, we're still over 73% on those this year, which is probably unsustainable, but it's, it's definitely our best, uh, start ever. And currently our best, you know, season record. Um, and then the, uh, you know, we, we mostly talk about those official projections that use our team strength power ratings, but we have those two other models that make up the all three agree. One is our talent only that we call talent edge. And, and the other is a projected scoring model, which is a stats only model, which I shorthand call prism. Those had been real iffy the first three weeks. Uh, prism is a little weird because I don't have very much uh, conference waiting in there. I need to definitely address that in the future. Uh, but now that we're seeing uh, conference games start and, and things like that, it should you know tighten up really, really well. And both those models combined to go 67, 42, and 2, which is 58.8%. So I was really, really happy to see that as well. And then our absolute error, which is, you know, how our projection differs from the actual result was 12.07, uh, which if you look at uh, the prediction tracker, which does, uh, you know, keeps track of, what is it, 49 different uh, projection models, including, um, you know, ESPN's FBI, uh, teamrankings.com, the line, you know, all, all these sort of things. Uh, the current leader for the 2021 season in absolute error is uh, the midweek line at 12.64. And we beat that by, you know, half a, a point and just one, just one week. But that was a great, great sign for our, you know, 500 week to basically post an absolute error that would, you know, lead the these other uh, uh, basically 50 models uh, if it were at that rate over a full season by, by quite a bit. So uh, it was a modest 
you know, 500 type record uh, just in, you know, in its most basic terms. But there were some sort of periphery signs that I feel much, much more positive about than I did this time last week when I was, uh, you know, just really, really uh, in my feelings, I guess, about, <laughs> about uh, how, how week uh, three had gone. But really, really bounced back last week. I'm, I'm really happy with that. I like the way our power ratings are shaping up. I like the way uh, our team performance ratings have come along and they look pretty good. I, I think they're solid. All that said, I am so scared about this week because I, I don't think I've ever finished a set of projections and step back, look at the list and just absolutely hated our projections. I mean, more. You even tweeted that out, which I, I did. I, like, I couldn't what help are you it. Doing? You know, like I uh, am, I am not a good marketer <laughs> by any stretch. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is not reverse psychology. We very much appreciate uh, our Patreon supporters and people who invest in us, uh, but it's not, you know, that we're selling picks. That's not what we're, we're designed right, to do. Right. We're trying to provide, you know, the best information we can. And part of that for me is to say, you know, I hate this list. I, if I could flip it and be on the other side in every game, I think I would. Now that doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean they're wrong. You know, we could, be you know this time next week talking about yeah we hit 65 percent. it was our best week ever you know part of the reason that we do these projections and, and they don't take into account my opinion uh much at all and and it's kind of designed to get opinion out of it because you know i can look at at certain games and and think oh we are totally on the wrong side here and then it ends up, you know, working out. So um, for whatever reason, you know, I, I think the I think the system that we have in place, the models that that we built over the last few years are better than I am, you know, specifically or at least at, at just picking games. So I do trust our process. I trust our methods. Um, but I'm scared because I would pick very different in um a majority of the games I think this week it's it's just funny the way that that goes you know <laughs> yeah, you, you look at it and you go oh wow uh you know uh I, I would be on the opposite end uh you know that that's how I felt last week on most of them and they paid out so you know uh I did not do great I mean I also you know it, it's an annoying thing because I write my article for betting pros and uh, all that stuff and this was a bad week for me and and you were you know I was complaining about it on Saturday night. You were right there to, you know, hey, it happens to the best of us, all that stuff. It's just the the little ways I lose those. And you have that. I only write up 10 games. So you have that times a million every weekend uh, as far as nervousness goes because there's so many of these games. I mean, you're probably lucky in the fact that you can't possibly pay attention to every single game, you know, um, as it's going on. I know you try, but... <laughs> you can't follow it like point for point every single time. You know, sometimes you just have to go to it because there's, you know, 50 games going on or whatever. So, uh, but um, yeah, man, it, it was a frustrating week for, for me last week. So I'm looking forward to this week outside of, you know, Longhorns performed well, that, and that was a lot of fun to watch, but bets weren't great. CFF teams weren't great. So, um, but at least the Steelers got rolled on Sunday and looked terrible. So, uh, but you know, uh, we're not, we're not here to talk about the, 
the past. We're here to talk <laughs> about the future, as Mark McGuire taught us. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's move ahead to week five here, Nick. And you picked the absolute correct one here because I did a double take when I saw this line. So which line confused you the most when uh, looking at lines? And I think there are a couple this week. Yeah. Yeah, there there are. But the one that that stuck out to me, and it's an early one, and I actually just wrote it up for Athlon Sports, did my uh, did my weekly preview uh, over there, but it's Tulsa minus four and a half versus Houston. And it's, you know, I guess I kind of, I kind of get it. I mean, Tulsa is one in three lost to an FCS opponent, but they are not as bad as their record would indicate. And that loss to UC Davis uh, was just kind of weird in general. They've played Ohio state. They've played, uh, Oklahoma State, so, you know, two pretty tough opponents, both, you know, Ohio State's uh, a, a top 10 team still. Uh, Oklahoma State is undefeated and beat a ranked Kansas State team last week. Um, so it's it's not like they haven't been challenged. And the last two weeks, Davis Brin, new quarterback there, has thrown for a ton of yards. And, you know, he's now second in – the American in uh, passing offense behind Tanner Mordecai at SMU, who's just been absolutely on fire. Uh, and they've got a pretty deep group of position players. Uh, they've got, you know, three running backs have hundred yard games already this year. Uh, they have, I, you know, at least three receivers with hundred yard games and, and Keelan Stokes has been sidelined the last couple of weeks, but they haven't missed a beat because, you know, the other guys, that they've got on hand have, have stepped in and, and performed really, really well. The defense has taken a bit of a step back. I mean, they don't have, um, you know, Collins anymore, who was a first-round draft pick. They lost a few others. But, again, how much of that is the opposition that they've played? Houston uh, got out to a great start against Texas Tech, but lost that game, ended up getting, you know, outscored uh, huge in the second half. But they bounce back with three straight wins. So on paper, they look better. They've played much, much weaker competition uh, this year. And so, you know, one of the things I looked at was some advanced defensive metrics from Brian Fromo at, at BCF uh, Toys and at uh, uh, Parker Fleming at, at uh, CFB-Graphs.com, looked at EPA numbers, look at points per drive, all that good stuff. And Houston is, you know, still, even when you take out garbage time, when you take into account only FBS opponents, still, you know, ranks much better in most defensive metrics. But early in the season, results can be misleading. And Houston has, you know, since playing uh, Texas Tech, they've beaten Rice, Grambling, and Navy. Rice and Navy have, have both been really, really bad FBS teams and Grambling is, you know, not the toughest FCS opponent. So uh, it's it's a weird one. It's it's difficult to know how uh, you know much to take twenty twenty one numbers, you know, into uh, our thinking of it because they've been kind of fluky, not necessarily fluky, but just uh, difficult to to. Um, compare the two just because the competition is, is very, very different. I think Houston is the most 
the more talented team, especially on defense. Their defense is much more experienced than Tulsa's. Um, but, you know, are their defensive numbers that much better? I mean, they're 48th in defensive uh, team performance so far this year. Uh, Tulsa is, uh, what is that, 64th. So they're they're not much different once we take everything, you know, the dozens of different uh, factors that we we take into account. So anyway, this is probably way too long on this game, but uh, <laughs> we have we have Houston favored outright. And part of that is talent because Houston's really hit the transfer portal hard. Um, but it, it, you know, uh, Tulsa's been a weird kind of weird team the last couple of years and and they are certainly capable of winning this game they do have the home field advantage it is uh, a friday night game which you know adds just sort of a little different element to it uh so would i be shocked if they win by a touchdown i I wouldn't uh but i i think houston should win the game but it's also kind of an example of uh something that we're probably going to talk about a lot over the next hour is this is one of many, many games where all three of our models uh, agree and or we think the wrong team is favored as a uh, as a road team. We are on way, way too many uh, road teams this week, I feel like. That's part of why I hate the projections. Uh, we are on way too many road favorites, and it just really, I feel like, is... is uh, a, a, a large selection of games, like you know, twenty-four. All three agrees. Uh, Nineteen of those are on the road team, and that's just way too much exposure. Because, like we were just talking about, this is a week. Um, you know, we we mentioned week four specifically, but I feel like week five, and I, I don't have numbers on hand to uh, to back it up. But you know, this this is in that same period of time where this feels like it could be an upset week. And so if we're on so many road teams and road favorites, uh, that's that's a very risky position to be on. Yeah, uh, you know, I, and I understand the, the road favorites and all that stuff. But, I mean, just when you look at straight roster construction, it seems like Houston should uh be the favorite in this game so when i looked at that one i did a double take as well um how many of them are too good to be true because like you said i know we're going to be talking about the uh the all three agree here a lot and it kind of seems like there's some ones to pick through for this yeah i i, I couldn't narrow it down to just one i mean there are literally uh 24 all three agree uh, selections. I think that's the most we've ever had. I don't think we've ever passed 20. I, I think maybe like 18 last year we had one and I, uh, you know, complained wildly or loudly about it. Uh, so, you know, 19 of those 24 are on the road team. Seven of them are road favorites. And it, I just couldn't, I couldn't narrow it down. Um, I think, I don't know. Maybe, I yeah, I'm I'm struggling a little bit. Probably, probably one of the games that we'll talk to. I guess we can transition into it. Uh, Clemson, you know, Clemson minus sixteen against Boston College, and we have Clemson covering. 
All right, well, let's let's dive in then. Let, yeah. let, let's dive in on that because, uh, you know, we, we each pick two games and that's Xavier's and you do have Xavier's first on the list here. So uh, we'll just uh, open up with it. The line is Clemson by 16. The over under is 46. Uh, Boston College has looked pretty decent, but um, we got it. We got to expect Clemson to get rolling at some point, um, you know, and, and they haven't so far. But Boston College could be this could be the week. So uh, let's just dive in on that game. Yeah, I mean, it 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 feels like Clemson should get going at some point. I mean, they are uh, still hanging on in the top 10 in our power ratings, which, you know, everybody after they lost on NC State that I saw on Twitter is like, oh, you know, you can't rank Clemson next week. And and of course, the AP poll is is different than what we do with our, our power ratings. But, you know, they're, they're still a top 10 roster in college football, we think. Top, you know, they're seventh in roster strength overall, third on defense, 12th on offense. Um, Dabo Sweeney, even though his, his head coach rating has taken a hit with a couple of upsets already this year, he's still ranked sixth in our head coaching ratings. Uh, uh, offensive coordinator Tony Elliott has been under a, a ton of uh, scrutiny and, and you know, somewhat undeserved or somewhat deservedly so. Uh, Clemson ranks 77th in offensive team performance, 102nd in passing uh, offensive team performance. You know, but he's still, even though his numbers have, have you know gone down considerably, he's still a top 15 offensive coordinator in our ratings. And so maybe, uh, you know, th- this could be a situation where. You know, if uh, kind of like complaining about our projections as a whole. Well, if they're if they're so bad, you know, why uh, then then we must have a bad system in place, right? Uh, I don't I don't think we do. It's been pretty you know pretty good and kind of uh, refined it a bit over the last. Uh, now we're in our fourth season, uh, so you know I understand Clemson. You know, hasn't necessarily fallen off a cliff, and you would still think is the team to beat in the ACC, even if they lost last week to NC State. I mean, they're still going to be uh, a factor very much, I, I would expect, and I would expect them to play better. I mean, I think DJ Uyunglele is a better quarterback than he's shown uh, this year. I think that they you know, still have a ton of talent at receiver. Uh, their running back group is, is now, you know, very thin. I mean, they, they lost uh, – Lynn J. Dixon to the transfer portal after he had kind of, you know, gotten into the doghouse and, and then just didn't uh, establish himself. But then the big blow last week, uh, and it sounds like it's it's not going to be quite as bad as originally feared, but Will Shipley, the five-star running back who had uh, basically, you know, run to the top of the depth chart as a true freshman pretty quickly, uh, suffered a knee injury. He's going to be out a few weeks. Uh, it's better, of course, than, than the full season, but now, you know, Kobe pace is, uh, played 51 snaps last year, you know, hasn't, hasn't done a ton, uh, so far this season, but it seems like he's the go-to guy, Phil Maffa. They were hoping to, uh, red shirt and he's going to be, you know, the, the top backup. So, uh, they are, you know, not, not clicking by any, stretch on on offense and, and still have plenty to figure out the offensive line is is uh 49th in our uh most recent o-line performance ratings they've been shuffling guys around trying to get the left guard spot 
figured out. So, you know, offensively, there are some major reasons to be concerned. Defensively, they've still you know, played pretty well. They rank eighth in defensive team performance. They didn't allow an offensive touchdown until the NC State game, uh, but they're dealing with some injuries on that side as well. Brian Breesey is out for the season, unfortunately, uh, suffered a torn ACL uh, in the game against uh, NC State. They were already without Tyler Davis up front, who was a, a, a starter at least, but he rotated out a, a lot. So they they have a lot of experience on the defensive line, but those are two starting interior defensive linemen who are going to be out for an extended period. Uh, James Skalski left last week with an injury, didn't play in the second half. It, it seems like he is probable to return, uh, but they've been without uh, Landon Sanders, who was a starter last season all year because of injury. So they are, um, you know, they're, they're hurting. They are not at full strength on defense either. So they are a vulnerable team. And Boston College is, you know, they've beaten everybody on their schedule. They, of course, have dealt with their own injuries. Uh, Phil Jerkovic, uh, maybe the most impactful injury we've seen so far this season. Um, because he really helped solidify their offense, their their team as a whole, basically, when he uh, transferred in from Notre Dame last season. He's got a, a hand, a wrist injury, and, and will be out probably the entire year. So they're relying on Dennis Grozel, the backup quarterback, former walk-on. You know, he's a 73-rated player in our individual player ratings. That's a big-time drop-off from Jerkovic, who is a – uh, you know, 91, and, and you could argue maybe uh, could deserve a, a couple of points higher than that. So um, they've been able to find a running game. Pat Garwo has been a, a real pleasant surprise and, and uh, had a big, big week last week in the win over Missouri, one of our uh, wrong team favored selections. I didn't feel great about it uh, going in, but Boston College helped us out by winning in overtime. Uh, but Garwo, you know, had a big game there. Zay Flowers, who's gone to the sidelines a couple of times, uh, a little banged up, but, you know, has has uh, not missed any extended time. Seems like he's going to be uh, ready to go and is one of the best receivers in the ACC. Trey Berry has been a nice pickup as a transfer from Jacksonville State. The running, you know, the, the receiver core as a whole is solid. The offensive line is playing very well, 13th in our O-line performance ratings, and, you know, defensively, they are improved. They are 56th in defensive team performance, not a great defense by any stretch, but this was a unit that was, uh, you know, really struggled at at times last season, and it seems like they're going to be a, a, you know, in a decent matchup situation against that Clemson offense that is, you know, potentially one-dimensional, and even then, has struggled, you know, in, in the passing game. So I, I can see a lot of scenarios to where this would be a very close game. Um, I could see scenarios where Boston College maybe even wins it. However, you know, they are on the road. They do have their backup quarterback. And it is worth mentioning that other than the Missouri game, which Missouri has been one of the worst defenses in college football this year, it's worth pointing out, but they've played Colgate, UMass and Temple. So two of the very worst FBS teams and a not very strong FCS opponent. So how much do we really know 
about Boston College, and, and they were able to rise to the occasion last week. But you know, they they are not uh, battle tested really by any stretch. Whereas Clemson has played Georgia, they played NC State, tough opponent, uh, and even Georgia Tech is better than um, those those first three opponents at least that, that Boston College played. So it's a it's a tricky one, and I am not. Uh, super confident that we're on the right side at Clemson minus 16. I just don't know if, if there will be really enough points scored to get there, if, if that makes sense. Our projection, and we've talked plenty about our totals, we struggle with numbers that are below 50. So we're basically always going to be over on a, uh, on a total that, that's uh, you know 46 like this one is. So our projection is 34-17. It would, you know, I, I could certainly see this as more of a 24-17 or, a, you know, 24-14, something like that. I do think Clemson should win. Uh, and 16 right now for Clemson seems like a lot of points, but we we think that, or at least our projections uh, indicate that they could or, or should just barely cover that in all three projection models. So we're at, we're at 17 or more. Uh, in the talent edge and in the stats only model as well. So I don't, I don't love it, but, but we're on Clemson to cover. You know, they just have to score some points. If, if they can get the points rolling, uh, I think they'll smash Boston College. So uh, I'm, I'm with you on that one, but I understand it being nerve wracking after seeing what this offense has done through the first four weeks. This last game I picked, uh, Boston College versus Clemson, it is is a pick. It's just to be fun for me, because because live because misery loves company, right? And, and what's more miserable than than Clemson right now? The lowest rank in the Dabo Sweeney era in like eight, in like seven or eight years. You know, they've had two losses in a season for the first time in the regular season for the first time since like Taj Boyd was at QB. Like it is going. It is, you know, death is happening in Death Valley right now uh, with that program. And, and what better way to, to compile on the death than, than to lose to a Boston College team that doesn't have Phil Jerkovic anymore, um, you know, barely was able to win a game against Missouri where they had, you know, a, a, a huge lead going into the fourth quarter. And it took Missouri scoring 17 points in the fourth quarter just to get it to overtime. Why not add more misery to the life of Clemson fans than to lose and to be unranked for the first time in I don't know how long. It's, it's got to be a very, very long time since they've been unranked um, in, in the regular season. So, yeah, let's do it. Let's get crazy. Every week or so, you know, it's time for a crazy pick. And this is my crazy pick. I think Boston College can go into Clemson. And knock off the Tigers, who I think right now are reeling. And and two reasons as to why I genuinely think Boston College can do it. One, Boston College's offense offense is high powered. It it can score points. You know, it's shown you every week this season that they are the team that can go and score points, and seemingly at will at times. Right? Even without Jerkovic at quarterback, they were still able to run for over 260 yards against the SEC team last week. Right, Zay Flowers has had an amazing year and continues to be one of the better receivers in the country. You know, Dennis Grossel, who's gonna have have his hands full with that Clemson front four next week, has been a serviceable backup with Yurkovich out with a hand hand injury, which it looks like he'll be out for the rest of the year. You know, and on the flip side of that, Clemson's offense has looked nothing but pedestrian. I mean, pedestrian. This offense, you know, and, and I think it's funny 
because if it was anybody but f- Georgia or Alabama in week one that they lost 10-3 to, I think everybody would have been a little bit more worried about the offense. But because it was Georgia, it was more of a smoke screen because they were like, ah, it's Georgia. It's an amazing defense. You know, we expect the offense to struggle. Then we got, then it was Georgia Tech. And I don't mean to, to already start, you know, crapping on Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech is no Georgia, especially on the defensive end. And to not even be able to put 21 points on, on a Georgia Tech team. I understand there was a delay, but regardless, not even to be able to put 21 points on that Georgia Tech team, yikes. And then the very first, and then the very next week, it took overtime for you guys to put up 21 points against NC State. Overtime. You know, if this game had ended in regulations like it should have, like he should have made the field goal at the end of, uh, at the, end of the game, it would have been 17-14. Another week in which Clemson wouldn't have put up 21 points against a defense not near the caliber of a Georgia. So, it's really concerning for me right now that Clemson can't move the ball offensively. We talked about the woes that they may have in the linebacking group and in some ways in the cornerback group outside of Andrew Booth. But we weren't we, we, we didn't think that the offense would be this bad. I don't think anybody saw DJ Uyunglele looking this bad at, at points. I don't think we saw Will, you know, Shipley looking this, you know, bad at points. And the connection between anybody other than uh, Uyunglele and Ross not being on one accord. You know, I remember Nick after watching the spring game, he and I both raved about Ngata and company, you know, looking like they had just completely retooled the 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 receiving core like nothing had been lost. Quite the contrary. It's really been Ross and Ngata. <laughs> That's been pretty much it uh, for their for, for their receiving core. And you can just tell that DJ, you know, it just looks uncomfortable. You know, since the Georgia game, he just looks uncomfortable. You know, 90% of the time he's, he's taking these, you know, these weird odd rollouts to his right, pretty much shrinking half the field and just hoping something comes alive, you know, in the NC State game to even get the offense started. He had to start using his legs probably more than he would like to and more than Dabo would have liked to as well. It just looked like this Clemson offense just does not have an identity right now. And because of that, they're really struggling to figure out who the hell they're going to be this year. And they better figure it out quickly because they've already got two losses on their hands. And you look at the rest of the schedule, they shouldn't lose another game, right? They shouldn't. Maybe the Wake Forest, November 20th, Wake Forest is a sneaky team. Maybe Pittsburgh on the road in a couple of weeks could be a, another trap game. But if they lose to Boston College this week, like I'm pro- like I'm prognosticating right now, um, it could be, it could, it could get ugly down there. You know, it could be really ugly. It could be the first time that Clemson doesn't make an ACC championship game. And who, I don't even, I don't even know. What, 2014? You know? Uh, and so, you know, maybe 2013. So, it could be a really long time if that if that's the case for them. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying Dabble's going to be on any hot seat or whatsoever, but some changes may need to be made at some very prominent positions. We may see Uyunglele benched uh, for a game if he loses again this week. Uh, it, it, we could see some shakeups, especially on that offensive side of the football. That could really be, you know, eye-opening uh, for some guys. And Uyunglele, if he benches you, you know, you can go ahead and enter the, into the transfer portal. I'm sure Georgia would love you if JT Daniels leaves. Just putting that out there. Just putting that out there. Uh, but, yeah, I think Boston College can go ahead, go into Clemson this week, and that's going to be a game I watch on the ticker right at the bottom. I'm not going to put it on the main screens. i got a, some bigger games to watch, some bigger fish to fry. I know that's funny saying that with Clemson being one of these teams, but it's going to be a game that I kind of just keep on my phone or keep watching on the ticker every time it pops up just to see if Boston College is in it. And then around third quarter, I'll switch over if Boston College is up by three or only down by six. You know, it's going to be one of those games for me that I think is very well possible.
Uh, the second game that we have here, another Xavier special, would be Baylor at Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State is a three and a half point favorite. Forty seven and a half is the over. And I got to tell you, I hate this game. So I'm glad Xavier picked this one so I can hear you break it down. This this is a weird one again. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say that probably about every game, the projection, you know, spit out something that I, I really, I don't know if I would have felt felt comfortable with any projection on, on this one. It's just, it's a, it's a tough one to, uh, you know, to, to handicap, to get your, put your finger on because in, in a lot of ways, I really buy into the improvement that Baylor's made, especially on offense. I mean, they they look like they are clicking offensively, and the numbers back it up. I mean, they're 11th in offensive team performance overall, top 25 uh, passing team performance, and, and they are number one in our rushing offensive team performance. They've got uh, Tristan Ebner, who, you know, is, is uh, a special teams uh, weapon, He's returned punts and kicks for touchdowns in his career, had a big week last week, and he's put some good work together as a, a running back as well. And they added Abram Smith, a former linebacker, uh, who's just you know rolled off 100-yard games uh, through, through the first few weeks of the season. So um, quarterback Gary Bohannon was a question mark coming in as a new starter, but he's performed really, really well so far this year. The offense is, you know, the offensive line has taken a huge step forward under the new offensive coaching staff. Uh, Jeff Grimes, an offensive line guy, comes over from uh, BYU. And, and you know, this is a unit that, that doesn't look particularly good on paper. They are 51st in our uh, O-line position strength numbers middle of the pack in, in the Big 12, but right now on the field, they are the number one offensive line in our performance ratings. And, you know, they've just, they have completely changed uh, uh, just just up front. And, and that's a big, big part of their turnaround. They were somewhat similar to what I was just saying about Boston College through the first three weeks where they played such a weak non-conference schedule that it was a little tough to buy in to, you know, how for real is this Baylor team? They played Texas State, Texas Southern, and Kansas. But last week, they beat Iowa State, beat them at home, upset. Uh, and I know Iowa State's, you know, been disappointing a little bit this year, but they're still a, you know, solid team, difficult to prepare for, top 25 type team, and a team capable, I think, still of, of making uh, life difficult for the rest of the Big 12. And Baylor, you know, just just went out and beat them. Uh, so that was a a kind of a, a you know prove yourself moment, or at least you know prove to me that Baylor is is going to be uh, a a tough out for a lot of teams. Oklahoma State has definitely been that in the past, and this year they've you know similar to Baylor, they've they've just beaten every team on their schedule. It has not been pretty. You know, they beat Missouri State kind of in a little bit of a shaky performance. They beat Tulsa in a little bit of a shaky performance. Uh, they beat Boise State, which was a pretty impressive win to go on the road, and, and they were uh, an underdog in that game, had some sort of fortunate moments, big plays, turnovers, things like that, uh, but they were able to win that game. And then last week against Kansas State, 
they were pretty much in control immediately. Uh, and they did have a, a defensive touchdown, I believe, uh, which sometimes, you know, is a little, uh, little bit of, of luck, or we think of it a little bit of, of luck at times. Um, but they were in control of that game, uh, basically, you know, from the middle of the uh, first quarter on, it, it seemed like. So Oklahoma State is, is you know, a solid program. They are a team that uh, is always capable of beating a more talented opponent, but sometimes they can struggle a little bit with teams that they are supposed to beat. And, you know, at least as far as the odds makers go and, and the market as of right now, thinks that this is a game that, that Oklahoma State should win. And it's understandable. It's at home. Uh, they are, you know, still not a, a perfect team by, by any means, but they are in the, uh, in the top 25 now. They are uh, just outside the top 25 in, in our power ratings. But you know they're uh, they're a, a they're in a spot where this is a, a game you would expect Oklahoma State to win. Should be a tough opponent, but they are favored and, and rightly so. Uh, but they have not always taken uh, care of business in, in those sort of situations. So our our projections on this one, I didn't expect you know much of a gap and and. You know, Oklahoma State is 29th in our power ratings. Baylor is 30th, so they're almost exactly the same uh, from a rating standpoint. Very, very evenly matched, talent-wise, and and you know, in a lot of different ways. The difference is Oklahoma State gets the two and a half points for home field advantage, and you know, just barely uh, a tiny bit more gives us Oklahoma State favored by 3.4 in our team strength. Uh, models, Baylor, uh, no, excuse me, Oklahoma State is favored by two in Talent Edge and by uh, a little less than two in our stats-only model. So there's not a, a big gap there, not a, a, a big edge, but we are technically on Baylor on the road again, uh, plus three and a half in all three projection models. So uh, it's also a, a total in the 40s, so we're over. Uh, naturally, but our projected final role, uh, final score is Oklahoma State 27, Baylor 24. That seems about right. There's not very much room for error uh, in that. This is a, a, you know, I could see Baylor picking up an upset on the road, but I could also see Oklahoma State, you know, uh, as a as a home team, maybe with an opportunity to play its best game winning by seven or 10 or, or something along those lines. So again, I don't personally have a great read on it. Uh, we think Baylor is going to keep it close enough to cover uh, in all three projections. Like I said, 27, 24. Let's hear what uh, Xavier has to say about it. All right. The battle of the two teams, probably shaking up college football every weekend. Nobody really realizes it up until last week. Obviously, you know, you've got Oklahoma state here in Baylor, Two teams that are undefeated in their conference, undefeated overall. And I do not think anybody, anybody saw this coming at this juncture in the season, especially for Baylor. Uh, maybe Oklahoma State, you know, their schedule has been a little bit more favorable up until this point, even though, you know, 
their results would suggest that maybe this team isn't good enough. Uh, but even then, they've played a Boise State team and had to you know play an, a ranked Kansas State team last week. And you look at Baylor, you know they're coming off of a huge win against Iowa State last week where they were able to hold on, um, and, and they've got you know. Oklahoma State this week and then West Virginia next week and then their schedule doesn't get any much easier because then they've got BYU as well um, but when you look at these two teams you know Oklahoma State for me was just really impressive and I'll start with them they were just very very impressive last week um, you know they were they, they really handled business against an, a Kansas State team that I literally said on this podcast I thought Kansas State would win because Kansas State has been more impressive up until this point and boy was I wrong uh, um, Oklahoma State did what they were supposed to do. You know, they, they they made Will Howard a bad quarterback. I mean, made him look bad. So much, <laughs> you know, so much so that they that they had to go to another person. You know, they had to go and, and you know, I know they've been using a two-quarterback system, but Jaron Lewis, you know, had to take the reins because they made Will Howard look pedestrian. You know, 4 of 12, 50 yards, that's, that's bad. You know, on the ground, you know, the combined 50-ish yards as a team, they they shut it down, you know, and kudos to Oklahoma State uh, for doing so and pretty much putting this game away in the first half. You know, 31-13 at halftime, Kansas State gets a, you know, you know, a little touchdown in the third quarter to make it a little bit closer on the score lines. But Oklahoma State handled business, you know, at home, and they were able to do it through the air and through the ground. Spencer Sanders had an excellent day, 22 of 34, 344 yards and two tubs, as well as Jalen Warren putting in 123 of his own yards, um, and Spencer Sanders adding another touchdown on the ground. They just had a complete game um, all the way around, and kudos to Oklahoma State for making me a believer. You know, it's funny, last year coming into the year, I think I was the only Oklahoma State believer on the entire podcast you know, uh, about what they could do and the prospects that they had going into last season. Now, I don't think I am anymore. You know, this year they, they've shown themselves that they, they, maybe they, you know, last year was uh, them, you know, not reaching expectations. And now this year is more of an expectation reach. You know, Kobe Harvey Peel with a pick last week, two sacks last week. The defense looked pretty good as well. Um, and, and I just really am confident about this Oklahoma State team coming into this week against a Baylor team that, you know, as good as they looked, and this is not me trying to be completely slanderous towards Baylor, as good as they looked, I, I feel like they still weren't as good as what I saw from Oklahoma State last week. You know, I feel like Baylor was able to kind of get out on Oklahoma, on Iowa State, excuse me, early and kind of just hold on for dear life uh, in that second half. They were up 21-13 in the fourth, in the uh, at halftime, excuse me. Uh, they only put up 10 points in that second half where Iowa State came roaring back. Um, when you look at the numbers, just the sheer numbers on both teams, you would think Iowa State should have won this ballgame. You know, they rushed for over 200 yards. Uh, Brees Hall with, you know, 190 by himself, averaging seven yards a carry. Brock Purdy only threw 11 completions. And, yes, he threw a pick, but he also threw a touchdown. You know, on the Baylor side, you look at Gary Bohannon or Jerry Bohannon, you know, 164 yards. That's not a great day at the office. Two touchdowns. He was efficient at 14 for 19. and But on the other end, they weren't able to run the football really effectively at all. You know, 47 yards from their number one back in Abram Smith. You know, Tristan uh, or Tristan Ebner throws in 31 yards of himself. And obviously, Jerry Bohannon uh, throws in, you know, 36 of his own. But, you know, you, you really feel like Baylor was able to, you know, use a little bit of home cooking. Just call it what it is. Um, and was able to pull off this win, you know, because of that. And, and I think that when we look at it, 
Well, and we'll look back at the end of the year if Baylor is not able to run the table. We'll look at that game and go, mm, maybe that was the game where we started overvaluing Baylor's worth a little bit. Baylor's got to go into Boone Pickens this week, which is obviously, as we know, a hostile environment. It's a night game. The pokes are going to be out. Uh, and, and Spencer Sanders, who's really fighting for his NFL career, which I really want people to understand. At two years ago, Spencer Sanders was a guy who was a day two guy, you know, maybe second round, third round selection. And I'm not, you know, I'm not overblowing this whatsoever. Over the last two years, he's fallen every single season and is really fighting for his place to be drafted at this point. Not not just, not to be a second uh, day two guy or even a day three guy, to be drafted, you know. Uh, and so I genuinely think that when you have a guy as hungry as he is at the quarterback situation or at the quarterback position, you have a team that's going to rally around that guy. You know, the, the Tylen Wallaces are gone. The Chuba Hubbards are gone. This is Spencer's team. And you see that in his command of the offense. Uh, and I really like Oklahoma State coming into this game. They've got one of my favorite defensive players in the country, Kobe Harvey Peel, being their leader on defense. Uh, and I really think that obviously, and also with this being a home game, I'm going to push it towards Oklahoma State, getting a big win over another over over another ranked team in back-to-back weeks, which is going to show is going to set them up for a couple of like, you know, possibly non-ranked showdowns in the next couple of weeks against uh, Texas and Iowa State. But equally as important to to showing how good this Oklahoma State team can be, especially when you look around the rest of the Big 12 and you go, Iowa State's no longer ranked. Texas is no longer ranked. Oklahoma was reeling and barely beat that West Virginia team. West Virginia is no longer ranked. It's really just Baylor and Oklahoma State holding it down in the ranked perspective for the Big 12. And if Oklahoma State's able to get a big time win over Baylor this week, it could really ascend them to, you know, a top 15 team with the only other team in the conference uh, being quote-unquote competitive from a ranked sense would be Oklahoma, which would be Bedlam at the end of the year, which... We haven't had like a, a good bedlam in a very, which feels like a very long time. So that would just tickle my fancy to just be able to have those two teams going at it again, playing for the Big 12 and, and playing, you know, for something. You know, over the last couple of years, we feel like it's just been like a, a matter of like, it's rivalry week uh, kind of game versus it's been an actual big time matchup between two teams that are actually playing for something. All right, we move on to the next game here, and we get into Knicks games, and I'm glad you picked this one again. Uh, Cincinnati at Notre Dame. Cincinnati is a two-point favorite as it stands right now. 50-and-a-half is the over on this game, and this one gets to me a little bit, Nick, because I can't seem to figure out what Notre Dame is this year. Are they good? Did they finally find their offensive rhythm in that fourth quarter against Wisconsin, and now we're going to see them start rolling downhill uh, are they just not a good Notre Dame team this year because the offensive line has been rough? So I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this one. So Notre Dame's been good to us <laughs> this year, and uh, I feel fortunate. Uh, but other than the Florida State game, we were on Notre Dame to, to cover that, and they didn't. Uh, but we had Toledo keeping it close. We had them covering against Purdue, and then I felt like we were kind of out on a limb a little bit uh, last week with Notre Dame actually favored over Wisconsin, and that was a, a very strange game. Uh, it was I mean, Wisconsin had a lead in the fourth quarter, but Notre Dame had, what, three interceptions in the fourth quarter, two of them, they returned for touchdowns. And so the final score was, you know, looked like a blowout, but that game was uh, was a nail-biter for for you know, the first 
50 game minutes of it, I would say. Um, but Notre Dame is a team that our uh, projections have, so far at least, done a pretty decent job with. So I, I think I should trust that you know, when we say that that Notre Dame is going to be able to, uh, we don't have them favored, but similar to what we just talked about with Baylor, do have it uh, where they are expected to keep it pretty close. Uh, that does include the uncertainty at quarterback. Jack Cohn went down, you know, had to had to come out of the game against Wisconsin and, and did not return. We do not know if he will be back at full strength. Tyler Buckner, who's you know played quite a bit as a, a true freshman. Uh, kind of insert him in with a little more athletic ability. He missed last game because of a, a hamstring. Not sure if he will be back. So this could be Drew Pine, who stepped in, gave him a little bit of a spark offensively, as you mentioned. Um, but, you know, we, we kind of basically slash those three, the way our projections go to where uh, – you know, it could be Cone, it could be Buckner, it could be Pine. And with that, we have Notre Dame as a little less than a two-and-a-half-point underdog uh, at home against Cincinnati. If we uh, put Pine as the starter, it doesn't change much. It only moves up to uh, 2.6, and part of that is because, you know, we do think Cone is good. Buckner, of course, is a really highly rated uh, four-star true freshman. But, uh, you know, they're, they're overall – uh, player ratings are not super, super high. They're in the, the mid to low 80s, both of them. So uh, Pine is a 79. It's not a significant downgrade. But the, the real question is, you know, will they be able to run the football? And, and that has been a huge issue this year. Kyron Williams is, you know, could be uh, one of the best running backs in college football, but that offensive line has struggled so much. Uh, they're 122nd in our O-line performance ratings, and that is just not what we expect out of Notre Dame. And so as a result, you know, they're 114th in rushing team performance. Um, they needed a, a big kick return from Kiss, uh, Chris Tyree and then two defensive touchdowns in the fourth quarter to put up what looked like a, a fairly impressive uh, offensive number, 41 points last week, but to get – you know, more than half of your points uh, on defense and special teams kind of shows that there are definitely some some issues offensively. And and for Notre Dame, the big one is that offensive line and, and running the football. And they've been uh, injured up front. They've had two left tackles go down, um, both of which were freshmen, one a true freshman, one a redshirt freshman. Uh, so they're, you know, hopefully getting a little bit healthier and and maybe they'll start to show some improvement on the field but they kind of they you know at times it seemed almost abandoned uh the running game last week against wisconsin will they be able to run against cincinnati i mean you would you would think uh maybe <laughs> you know you would think cincinnati uh, might be a a less talented team than wisconsin up front but cincinnati's got you know, some some really experienced, productive, highly rated players in the front seven. Myjay Sanders uh, is, you know, an all-American caliber defensive end. Marcus Brown has been an all-conference uh, interior defensive lineman. Jawan Briggs transferred from Virginia, where he 
uh, started 14 games. You know, so he's a, a, a full-time starter at a Power 5 school. He comes in and you know isn't guaranteed a starting spot on this Cincinnati defensive line. So it is a strong unit up front. Um, don't know if Darian Beavers at, at linebacker, I know he was dealing with an injury uh, during the game September 18th. Not sure what his status is there. But, you know, solid uh, linebacker core if he's, you know, able to play. And then maybe the best cornerback tandem in the country in Ahmad Gardner and Kobe Bryant. I mean, certainly uh, up there. You know, if if Derek Singley is fully healthy at LSU, then you certainly make a case there. But uh, both of those guys are, are really solid, played a lot of football, been very, very productive. And Gardner, I, I've you know seen a, a couple of mentions could be uh, could make a case as a first round NFL draft pick next year. So you know they are they are absolutely Cincinnati, a defense that is capable of making it another very long day for that Notre Dame offensive line. Whether it's putting more pressure in the pass rush, starting the run, or excuse me, stopping the run. Uh, and then, you know, locking down guys like Kevin Austin, making life difficult for Michael Mayer. Uh, it's not a good matchup for Notre Dame. Cincinnati is fourth in our defensive team performance, number three against the pass, number 19 against the run. And then offensively, you know, they're they're solid. They might not be spectacular. Desmond Ritter is kind of boomer bust a little bit. Sometimes he looks uh, you know, like a, a Heisman candidate. I know he's, I think, top five in Heisman odds right now. Uh, he makes some, you know, uh, questionable decisions at times. Uh, doesn't always look great as a deep passer, uh, but he is uh, at times a playmaker, can make plays on the ground, you know, has some weapons to work with, like Michael Young at receiver, uh, Josh Wiley is a, a, an all ACC AAC tight end, uh, Jerome Ford, running back, former uh, Alabama signee, has stepped in, become a, a big time ball carrier for them, and the offensive line is not spectacular, but you know ranks uh, sixty spots basically higher than Notre Dame in, in our performance ratings this year. Cincinnati also had an extra week to prepare after they went on the road and beat Indiana, had uh, had an idle uh, spot in the schedule uh, last week to prepare for Notre Dame. So there are a lot of reasons why this is not a good matchup for Notre Dame. Part of it, Cincinnati is a really, really good team. Uh, they, I think, you know, in a year that is uh, so weird, really do have legitimate playoff hopes. Uh, they are sixth in our power ratings, which our power ratings are not very kind to a uh, group of five teams. But Cincinnati has, over the course of the last couple of years, a lot of the guys that they're relying on picked up a lot of experience, a lot of production. They've become really highly rated players. Mazer Sanders is a 100-rated player. Uh, Desmond Ritter is over a 90. Jerome Ford is right there at a 90. So they, you know, Guys that they are leaning on uh, are now rated among the the you know what we would expect from a top ten type team. So they do, I think, have uh, legitimate top ten uh, you know roster construction. Basically, I mean they're twenty third in roster strength, uh, but fifteenth on offense. And so they're you know they're they're playing at a at a 
level have been for a while, but now, you know, with, with the experience and the talent have, have a roster that at least compares to Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame is 21st in overall roster strength. So they are very, very close numerically there as, as well. So Notre Dame does get this game at home. Um, and you know, our numbers, our, our projections have had a decent read on Notre Dame so far. I'm nervous about it. And it, it actually, since we released this on Tuesday night, remember our projections go out to our uh, subscribers or our Patreon supporters on Tuesday night and we record on Wednesday. You know, this, this has moved. We were on Notre Dame plus two and a half because all three did line up um, on that side. We do have Notre Dame with a talent edge of about two touchdowns. And then our stats only model has Cincinnati, but by only a point. And with our official projection at 2.41, we were on Notre Dame plus two and a half. The number this morning as of 10.30 a.m. Eastern time was Cincinnati favored by two. So had we done the projection this morning, we would technically be on Cincinnati minus two, and it would no longer be in all three agree. So it's a little bit you know, muddy there. But our official prediction when this went out was Cincinnati 28 Notre Dame 26, so right on uh, that two-point spread. We're officially on Notre Dame. I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll continue to, you know, carry weight for us. They've been good for us in the past. Maybe we got, you know, too many lucky bounces last week for it to carry over this week, but uh, I'm, I'm hopeful Notre Dame can uh, can cover at home for us. All right, let's move or let's hear what uh, Xavier has to say about this one. Cincinnati versus Notre Dame. Now, this is a game that earlier in the year um, when we did our um, G5 previews and we were talking about the AAC, this was the game that, in my opinion, could make Cincinnati a playoff team. Um, you know, if they were able to win this game and win it big um, on the road in Big Ben, you know, be able to beat Notre Dame, a team that I expected to be ranked in the top 10 coming into this matchup. If they're able to, if Cincinnati's able to go in there and win this game big, that's that's the opportunity. It might be the best opportunity for a G5 team to make the playoffs since this iteration. And you know, you're talking about a Cincinnati team that just came off of a very impressive win on the road against Indiana, a team that we all thought could be ranked coming into that game. Um, and they obviously, and they, once again, they did it on the road, which was very impressive as well. And they weathered the storm there as well, which is something I really wanted to see from Cincinnati. Which was, you know, it's one thing to, you know be at home and weather the storm against a UCF or a Memphis, what happens when, you know, uh, you're on the road against a P5 team, a, a pretty good P5 team, and, and everything's just going right for them. You know, they're making great grabs, you know, they're crowds into it, and you're down early. And they were down early against Indiana. You know, they, things weren't going well for them. Um, you know, obviously Desmond Ritter got strip sacked earlier in that game. Indiana's up pretty early. They're up fourteen nothing, and you're like, wow, okay, maybe this is maybe maybe this is just too much for Cincinnati. You know, maybe a P five team like Indiana, you know, being at home is just too much of a daunting task. And they and they and you know they wrote you know they writ the ship and, and they got it together. And it was really nice to see Cincinnati kind of just take the punches from Indiana, take the punches from Indiana. And, you know, by halftime, you know, it was a 14-10 game. 
and, and you you thought, okay, Cincinnati's weathered it and, and they're ready to go. And they showed themselves uh, approved. They were ready to go, you know, and, and they made the plays that needed to be made in that second half to open up that game, you know, and, and really, you know, put that game away uh, on the road, which was very impressive to, for me in particular. Um, now, when you talk about Notre Dame, coming off of a massive win in, in Chicago, um, you know, at Soldier Field, being able to, you know, beat the brakes off of uh, Wisconsin, uh, you know, being, you know, taking that game to a whole new different narrative at the end there with two pick sixes in the fourth quarter. You know, Notre Dame, you know, that, that's a long way away from them almost being upset by Florida State in week one. Right. So when you look at this game, you know, I look at two things. I look at the quarterback play. I look at Jack Cohn and I look at Desmond Ritter. Which one do I trust more? I, I think I'm going to have to say Ritter at this point. You know, you look at the way that Notre Dame played last week. And even though that they had that amazing, you know, the scoreline looks really well, the offense still didn't all perform all that great. You know, the, the, Kyron Williams still didn't run for that many yards. Uh, Jack Cohn still had his normal, you know, night out and and for me that shows me more of a, a of a lack of explosiveness and you know I, and this it's not going to get any easier you know Wisconsin's a really good team up front but whereas Wisconsin's a really good team up front maybe they're not so good on the back end it's a complete op- opposite for Cincinnati Cincinnati might not be as good up front but on the back end they're as solid as it comes around college football and they're going to make Jack Cohn's life a living hell when he drops back to pass this is going to be a situation where Kyron Williams and that rush offense has to come good. Um, on the defensive side, Notre Dame has got to stop Desmond Ritter from being an athlete. You know, if, if they can force him in the pocket and force him to make tough throws, that's the best way to beat Desmond Ritter. As soon as you allow him to be an athlete and get those legs going, it's going to be a long afternoon. Um, because at that point, you're allowing him to dictate what he wants to do, not just with his arm, but with his legs. Uh, and, and this is an opportunity, like I said at the beginning, for Cincinnati to make its claim for the playoff. Yes, it's very well possible that they, they still might not go, get in with all of this happening for them. However, it's going to be very, very difficult to leave them out if they were to go in, you know, to Notre Dame, win by 14 to 17 points, and, you know, really and probably be ranked sixth after that week at that point it'd be really difficult for you to say they didn't earn it you know and if they were to then run the table and win their conference it'd be really really hard for you to say that they didn't earn it because they have two really good victories on their schedule you know they go in and they beat indiana by 14 points in their home turf and like i said they were able to beat Notre Dame by 14 plus it would be you know that that would be two quality wins not to mention that they obviously have to play teams like UCF later on in the year. They still have, you know, the the conference championship game, which they'll probably end up playing a Memphis. So, like, they, they it's not under the realm of possibility that Cincinnati, if they can win this matchup and win it convincingly, that they have a chance of making it to the playoff this year. Um, I'll be honest with you. Unf- I hate that I have to go against this team, but I th- just think Notre Dame is going to get the job done. Um, I, I just, I, I don't want to doubt Notre Dame just because, you know, they haven't had that explosive offensive performance just yet. And then this be the week that they put up 33 points as an offense and, and are able to kind of just keep Cincinnati at bay. Um, Cincinnati's had two weeks to prepare, which I think is going to be really, really big coming into this game. Um, and, and I guess, you know, the odds makers agree because Notre Dame, you know, open was a one point favorite. Now Cincinnati is a two point favorite, you know, coming into the, this weekend. And, and so I think that maybe, you know, People look at Notre Dame's offensive concerns like I do and go, mm, this offense hasn't really clicked yet. 
And yes, that performance against Wisconsin was good and looks good on paper, but Wisconsin was kind of just having to throw the ball around the yard to kind of keep up at the end of that ball game and how much of that was genuinely on the back of how good Notre Dame's defense was. Um, so I, 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 I want to pick Cincinnati. I really do. I genuinely do. I think they have a team that could do it. I just, just there's something about Notre Dame this year that tells me that they're just going to get it done. You know, that they're just going to win these ball games, even when maybe they shouldn't, like in the Florida State situation, or maybe they don't look like necessarily the better team on paper, like in the Wisconsin situation. Uh, I just think Notre Dame gets it done. Maybe it's the fact that they also at home, uh, and Cincinnati's never played in, a, in, in, a, in an environment like this. Indiana's one thing. Playing, you know, at Notre Dame is a completely different situation. Um, and, and maybe I'm just thinking to myself that, you know, Notre Dame's going to be the more composed team being at home, and is going to get the job done. And we will jump over to the biggest game of the week here. One, I mean, there are two huge games this week, but this one uh, maybe the most evenly matched. Maybe not. I don't know. Th- but this is a great game. Arkansas, who just really proved themselves um, against Texas A&M or however you might want to say it. Uh, you know, they they are going on the road at Georgia. And Georgia is still a massive favorite in this game. Eighteen and a half points. 48 and a half is the over here, Nick. And I have legit concerns about Arkansas because, you know, in the fourth quarter, we saw what that offense looked like with KJ Jefferson out and the backup quarterback in, and it did not run nearly as efficiently. Jefferson did come back in, but looked like a knee injury. Who knows what happens during the week, stuff like that. You know, guys knee will swell. Hopefully KJ Jefferson will be able to play, but he probably will not be at a hundred percent. So, um, you know, this might be um, the end of the road for the fairy tale story of the Razorbacks as far as, you know, climbing into actual national contention, but uh, should be a good, a good game. Nonetheless, what do you think about it? I'm torn a little on this one. Uh, I was really impressed with Arkansas last week. We talked about that uh, Texas A&M, you know, we were on Texas A&M and all three by a, a considerable margin. Uh, I think we had double digits uh, projected for for Texas A&M in, in both of those, or excuse me, in all three of those. But as we were talking about it, I was kind of really kind of convincing myself that Arkansas, uh, if not was the the right side to be on, was at least a legitimate threat to win. And I mentioned I did pick up uh, kind of on a on a. Uh, you know, just sort of a, a, a lark, I guess. Uh, Oklahoma or Arkansas, 251 uh, national championship futures. And after this week, you know, that, that or after last week, that, that looked a, a good bit better. If they are able to keep it going and, and knock off Georgia as a uh, big-time underdog, you know, then, then I'm really starting to, to feel good about it. But if they keep it close – you know, who knows? Maybe maybe Arkansas can solidify itself as, as one of the top uh, three or four teams in uh, the SEC. So I I was impressed. And I know, you know, like you mentioned, K.J. Jefferson being uh, banged up a bit in addition to his knee. His uh, ankle also looked pretty heavily uh, taped up. I'm, I'm not sure if that's something that's been limiting him or if he just happened to, to – uh, like to tape his ankles heavier or not, but he does not seem a hundred percent. And though I do like Malik Hornsby, and he is he is legitimately fast. I mean, uh, I saw something I didn't 
you know, hadn't done a lot of research on Hornsby uh, previously, but they mentioned something during the broadcast that he and Devin Aching were on the same track team and, and both ran legs of the, uh, I don't know if it was the four by one or four by four or what have you, but, you know, legitimately he has track speed as a quarterback and can be a weapon off the bench and uh, probably won't have the offense clicking on all cylinders or, or you know, firing at its its max capacity if, uh, you know, if, if Jefferson is limited or, or for whatever reason has to go back to the sidelines, but he is still, you know, a weapon in his own right. But the receiving core continues to look good. Traylon Burks uh, had a big game, looks fully healthy. Um, you know, they, they've been getting good production from other guys in that unit as well. The running back core we talked about is very deep, uh, continues to, um, you know, guys are, are making plays. Young guys are making plays. A.J. Green, uh, you know, had a, a big-time uh you know, distance play and, and touchdown in the uh, win last week, kind of one of the you know few big plays it, it seemed early on. But Traylon Smith has, you know, nearly 300 yards on the ground. Uh, KJ Jefferson still is a, a, you know, impact runner, but uh, Raheem Sanders, Dominique Johnson, you know, all those guys are, are getting carries and are averaging, you know, chunk yardage. Green is six yards per carry. Johnson, seven yards per carry. Jefferson, seven yards per carry. Sanders and Smith, both over five. So that offense is, despite, you know, last week uh, kind of slowing down a little bit as the game went on, still, I think, capable of putting up yards and, and points and even giving Georgia, which has been the best defense in the country, uh, a little bit of a test. Um, and, and so I, I think this Arkansas team is already good, but will continue to improve and, and offensively will continue to improve. The defense is, has come a long way. That defensive line was triple digits in our D-line performance ratings in 2020. They went heavy in the transfer portal. Now are ranked top 15 in, or top 20 at uh, number 17 overall in defensive line performance. The linebacker core continues to overachieve with Bumper Pool, Grant Morgan, Hayden Henry. Uh, the secondary is is solid. Jalen Catalan is an incredibly fun player to watch. That unit is experienced, brought back you know all five starters last season, and and you know they're playing pretty well. They rank sixth Arkansas in our defensive team performance, 20th against the pass, 14th against the run. They just haven't really shown a, a major weakness uh, on that side of the ball. And even though the passing offense is a little bit of a weak spot statistically at, at 72nd in passing team performance, uh, I still, you know, I, I think that, like I said, they have room uh, to grow and, and can certainly grow there. But Georgia has been dominant. And they've moved to number one in our power ratings two weeks ago. They surpassed Alabama. That was a little bit of a surprise, but they do rank first in overall roster strength, first in offensive roster strength, and first in defensive roster strength. It also has looked like that on the field. They rank number one in overall team performance. They rank number one in defensive team performance, number one against the pass, number two against the run. And then the offense, you know, it has not been perfect. Uh, has had some injury, you know, at the quarterback position, have had a lot of injuries in the receiving core, 
the offensive line a little bit in flux still you know they don't know if uh or, or they've been trying to work through uh the best top you know the best five finding the the spots in the uh the best five guys and where specifically their best guy uh jamari salier is going to line up is he uh, better suited to be a guard? Is he, you know, better suited to hold down the left tackle spot? Seems like, you know, they've, they've been working through that in the first four weeks of the season, but they've still performed, you know, they're sixth in offensive team performance, third in passing team performance, uh, which is not normally what we would expect from a Georgia offense, especially one that's had, you know, so many injuries at receiver. So, uh, it's uh, been been somewhat remarkable, although you know the last two weeks they've beaten up on you know two of the uh, weakest teams in the SEC. And even though they were you know they beat Clemson, Clemson is not now what we expected them to be in week one. So was that a little bit misleading? UAB uh, is a good solid team, but still you know from a pure talent standpoint not in the same league as, as Georgia. So there's a, a, a fear, maybe, I don't know if fear is the right word. Maybe it's a, it's a, uh, there's, there's reason to be sure concern, maybe a little bit skeptical that, that maybe they're not going to be able to continue this incredibly high level of uh, performance so far, but man, they have, they have been, absolutely dominant especially on defense but i mean look at uh you know net yards per play and these are adjusted uh for non-garbage and and against fbs opponents uh they're first at 5.02 net yards per play so they're averaging over eight yards per play and they've allowed right at three yards per play uh which is number one in the country points per drive net number one in the country uh, they're number four in net yards per pass attempt, number two in net success rate, number one in expected points added margin. So they've just they've they've been purely a dominant team and uh, have taken care of business uh, against the teams that they are, you know, scheduled to play. The secondary coming into the year was a little bit of a concern. They played great. Um, the the defensive line number one in defensive line team performance. The linebacker group might be the best in the country. They certainly are in our, uh, you know, individual uh, unit ratings or our talent rating numbers. So it's it's hard to find a real weakness with Georgia. The only one is that maybe they just haven't quite been tested uh, other than against that Clemson defense. They haven't quite been tested uh, maybe like Arkansas has, having gotten through Texas A&M last week, having played Texas, who looks, you know, since that Arkansas game, looks like a, a much, much better team. So was it, maybe was Arkansas really that good? Or, you know. We I kinda, think so. That, it, it could be. And so, yeah, this this is kind of, uh, repeating myself from from the Clemson versus Boston College, but uh, the number is big, and part of it is because our projections really, really respect what Georgia has done. Part of it is, uh, you know, 
with some of the Arkansas uh, players that they are relying on, they're still young enough that our individual player ratings maybe are a little low on KJ Jefferson. He's an 80, almost an 85. Should he be a 90 based on how he's played? I don't know. Maybe, you know, Traylon Smith, 82 at, at running back. I would say that that running back group is better you know, in our talent numbers, they rank 77th nationally, 12th in the SEC. This is a better unit than that. I know that. Uh, but they're they're fairly young. Um, you know, Traylon Burks is a max-rated receiver, but everybody else is, you know, 80s and 70s, just not quite up to the talent level as, as what we see with Georgia. So, you know, the talent numbers are lacking a little bit. Arkansas is 31st in roster strength, 54th off the off- on the offensive side of the ball. I think they're they're better than that. So I do think that our projection is a little low on Arkansas, but we have Georgia favored by 22.8. If we, you know, knock that down 5 points, uh we're basically at at what the odds makers have. So is there, you know, are they that much better? Are they five points better? Um, just based on our, our talent numbers? I, you know, I don't know. I don't think that that would, would uh, close the gap that much. So our projection seems a little too much like a, a, an easy Georgia blowout. I, I don't necessarily trust that Georgia's going to win this game 37 to 14. Uh, but, you know, Georgia might just be the best team in the country. And if that's the case, and Arkansas has already played two pretty tough opponents, its quarterback is banged up, uh, you know, maybe maybe they just hit a little bit of a speed bump here. I, I certainly can talk myself into why Georgia would win this game by three touchdowns, but I, I feel like it's going to be a little closer than that. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could be. Let's hear what Xavier has to say about this. Arkansas-Georgia might be one of my most favorite matchups of the entire year. Obviously, this is a game that last year was probably closer than anybody expected um, with Dewan Mathis looking rather rough and and Sterling Bennett, sorry, Stetson Bennett having to come in and and save the day for Georgia. Um, But this game is so fun to me because I think it's two styles that are going, it's going to be old-fashioned SEC football. I believe so. I genuinely believe that. You've got, you know, Arkansas led by Sam Pittman former Georgia assistant, you know, offensive line coach at Georgia, who wants to be physical, wants to run down your throat, wants to beat you at the point of attack, wants to beat you up, beat you up, beat you up. And then when you think you've got his number, throw it over the top. You know, we saw in the A&M game last week, they punched A&M in the mouth and they kept punching him, hitting him with haymakers, left hook, right hook, you know, and, and just when, you know, they thought, you know, A&M thought they could slip the hook, here came an uppercut uh, and was the knockout blow several times. And, you know, on the defensive end, once again, same situation. Physical, punching A&M in the mouth. A team that wanted to run the football. A team that wanted, to, you know, who, who leans on run, on their run game. You know, led by Isaiah Spiller and company. They had no help. Or they had no such luck doing that consistently last week. And I think that that, you know, that is where, you know, that's something that I'm really looking forward to seeing this week. With Georgia, uh, because Georgia hasn't been a team that's ran the ball uh, specifically well you know this is a team that's been decent in their running game 
Their running game hasn't been explosive as it has been in past, but what has been is their passing game. You know, last week against Vanderbilt, you know, they showed all of the all of the four or five stars that they had all over the field over the last two weeks. Well, it's just been an explosive, you know, bunch of guys, you know, and we're not even talking about the Darnell Washingtons, the George Pickens of the world. It's not even like the Kiaris Jacksons. We're talking like Lad McConkey and, and Bowers and, you know, Jermaine Burton, you know, who, who, have, who have, you know, shown themselves to be, you know, some of JT Dale's favorite targets this year. And that's where I do think that Georgia is just that much better than in past years. You know, I think this would be a game that I would, you know, as a Georgia fan, I could honestly say would be an upset alert for Georgia against an Arkansas team that, you know, is going to run the football well and, and stop the run. Um, you know, what they're, you know, uh, dual threat QB uh, Jefferson uh, at Arkansas. It does give them an opportunity to 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 give Georgia multiple looks from the running game. You know the read option is going to be you know they're going to run a lot of things out of the read option. Whether you know they're going to pass, you know it's going to be RPO or they're going to just you know give you the the normal read. You know so it's going to give Georgia some different looks. Um, but once again, in, in, and to get back to my original point, I think this is where Georgia's different in in years past is the fact that. They can win a shootout. You know, I think they have the ability to, you know, drop back and have JT Daniels throw 35 times in this ballgame if necessary to win the game. And I think that's where it's going to where Georgia is just different and just that much better than in years past where, you know, you were hoping that a guy like Jake Fromm could possibly go, you know, 20 of 27. 230 and three touchdowns where now you genuinely feel like JT Daniels could throw for 310 yards, three touchdowns and, you know, win you a ball game. Whereas, you know, you were hoping that JT Dan or a Jake Fromm just didn't lose you that game with his arm, you know, and you were hoping, you know, the, the, the talented running backs in the backfield were able to get started and the offensive line were able to do enough. So I, I'm looking forward to this matchup because I think this is also a great barometer game for Arkansas. I think they're coming off in a massive win against A&M, but I think you're going to see a little bit of a letdown. Um, from Arkansas, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, when you have a win like that, you know, probably a program-defining win. Let's call it what it is. Last week's game is a program-defining win for Arkansas. You know, they were able to, to snap the streak that A&M had over them. They were able to do it at a neutral site game in Jerry World. Like this is this this that was a big win. You know, they they were also able to beat Texas earlier this year. So they've got a couple program-defining wins on their schedule. You know, if if, if, if you know. Right now, they're, they're 2-0 versus the state of Texas. So that, that's the program defining in its own right. But I think you're going to see a little bit of a letdown this week. Um, just because I genuinely feel like Arkansas maybe has reached its pinnacle uh, for, for this for this season. Um, not saying that they can't, you know, possibly make a New Year's Six. But as far as ranked teams. And, and they're about to go through a hellacious run. Which they've navigated pretty well starting off. You know, they beat A&M, on the, like I said, at the neutral site. Uh, but now, then they've got Georgia and Mississippi in back-to-back -back weeks on the road. And that'll really, for me, you know, tell me how good this Arkansas team is. Because now you're playing the cream of the crop, I believe, offensively in the conference. I think A&M is a really good defensive team. And as far as running the football is concerned, probably one of the better teams in the, in, in the conference running the football. But now you're playing Georgia and Ole Miss in the next two weeks. Two teams who offensively can do it all. They can run for 200. They can throw for 400. And, and, and they don't have really any holes on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, now, you know, we won't talk about Ole Miss's defense. You know, I just kind of went on a whole rant you know, about that when they, you know, when we talked about them playing Alabama this week, but Georgia is probably the most complete team in the SEC, you know, outside of Alabama. And I genuinely think that Arkansas just hasn't made, you know, and obviously you, you don't play teams typically as complete as Georgia week in and week out. 
But the things that they got away with with A&M last week are not things that, you know, I think they're just going to get away with when you when you play a Georgia team. You know, the time in the pocket that Jefferson was, you know, uh, allowed to have. The one-on-one matchups that they were winning on the outside. Darian Kendrick and, and, and Keely Ringo for Georgia have been revolution, revelations uh, this year. Especially uh, Darian Kendrick, who has looked really, really good in coverage. Obviously, that doesn't even talk about Christopher Smith, and, uh, who had to pick six against Clemson. And, and you know, Lewis Seen, who has been one of the better safeties in the country uh, the, over this past year. You know, the, you know, I don't, I don't think Arkansas gets nearly as much pressure as they were able to get on A&M last week uh, against Georgia. I think not only will you not see A&M force or, or you see Georgia force JT Daniels to drop back and pass that many times if need be, but also their offensive line is better. So where Arkansas has been a great story this year, I think, you know, they, they get they get a little bit of wake-up wake up call this week. Uh, I think they, you know, they caught A&M slipping, which sounds so dumb to say, but I genuinely think that's the case. Um I'm not saying that Arkansas didn't deserve that win. They they very much did. But I do think that they caught A&M kind of asleep at the wheel. Uh, a lot of just, you know, boneheaded plays. Even even some of, like, the, the bigger plays from Arkansas were, like, weird. You know, the 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 the, uh, the halfback pass that or, or the wide receiver pass that happened in the, in the second quarter of that game was kind of a lofted pass that wasn't all that, or at the end of the first quarter, excuse me, was like a lofted pass that wasn't all that accurate, you know, and, and nobody really played the ball. Um, you know, it didn't necessarily go for a score. It was kind of just like, you know, backyard football in, in a sense. And I think Arkansas just, you know, was fed up and came out hungrier. And I think when that happens in a game like that against A&M, what it does is it puts the rest of the country on notice. And that can be for good things. Obviously, your ranking goes up. You get more publicity. This game, unfortunately, is a noon start. They weren't able to flex it out, which is so dumb to me. But on the other end, now you've got Georgia's attention. Now you're not coming into a game where, you know, Georgia maybe thinks, oh, this is an Arkansas team that, you know, is good, but they couldn't be A&M, right? And maybe they're asleep at the wheel a little bit. Maybe they don't give you their A game. They're going to give you their A game this week, you know. And, you know, this would have been a perfect trap game for, for Arkansas as, you know, Georgia has Auburn next week. And maybe Georgia's looking at that Auburn game, you know, on the road. You know, they, you know, uh, and maybe thinking to themselves, oh, we can overlook Arkansas. We've got a more important fixture next weekend. And no, now this is, you know, this is a top 10 matchup. This is eight versus two. And Georgia has an opportunity here to to possibly get to number one if, they, if they're able to beat Arkansas by enough and, and have an impressive victory. And they know that. Uh, more importantly, a lot of these Georgia fa- Georgia players were on the team last year when they went down, uh, you know, and, and almost lost against Arkansas. So they have a lot of, of fuel and bulletin board material this week going into the Arkansas game, which is why I think Georgia wins and wins pretty big. I think they're going to cover, uh, cover and cover well. I think they'll win by three scores, to be perfectly honest with you. All right, we go over to uh, the first one of my games, and this is one where the line confused me as well, Nick. It's Michigan at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 43-and-a-half. And look, it's not like, you know, if you've listened to the show before, you know that I don't have a lot of faith in in Michigan. Neither does Xavier. But Mertz has looked terrible as a quarterback this year for Wisconsin. Uh, They got smoked by Notre Dame. Now that game was much closer than the final score uh, gave from last week, of course. Uh, you know, Notre Dame did all, almost all of their scoring in the fourth quarter, um, and there were some turnovers and stuff like that too. So, but I think what we've seen out of Wisconsin, what we've seen out of Michigan so far this year, 
is just vastly different. So I'm surprised that Wisconsin, even though they're at home, is uh, getting the benefit of the doubt here after what we've seen on offense and specifically what we've seen on defense from Michigan so far this year. So, uh, I mean, let me know, Nick, am I just completely wrong in uh, this game on the eyeball test? Uh, and how do we see it playing out? It's it's another it's another slightly confusing one, a one that's that's difficult to uh, put my finger on specifically because you know our numbers were were ended up being right on Wisconsin and we were kind of in a, a little on a little bit of a limb thinking that they were you know should be the underdog against Notre Dame last week Notre Dame definitely had some uh, you know lucky bounces and and you know played a played a solid game but. Uh, you know that that we were we were going up against or, or had a differing opinion than some other really smart folks that I respect. Some other you know uh, both numbers uh, focused people, uh, you know, real uh, you know, pro sports betters, college football uh, minded uh, folks. We we you know. It felt like we were on sort of the the square side, if if that's the right term, uh, on Notre Dame last week. But it it kind of worked out. I don't know if we uh, were able to capture something that that others weren't, but maybe we just got lucky. But we happened to be on the right side of that one. So, you know, that makes me think perhaps we're on the right side of of this one too. And and our numbers do respect. Wisconsin. They are a top 25 team still in our ratings, but they've slipped a bit. I mean, they were a team that uh, I think were pretty getting pretty close to top 10 uh, a couple of weeks ago. So Wisconsin is, is holding on to a spot in our top 25 power ratings. They are one and two. I've lost two games, but you know, Penn State looks like a legitimate top 10 type team. Uh, Notre Dame was able to uh, play well enough that that they were able to, to win a big game like that and pulled away in the second half by whatever way they did. And, you know, Wisconsin is, is as we know, just not a uh, really, from a, from a talent profile perspective, is, is not quite what uh, Michigan is, quite honestly. And, and Michigan's fallen down a little bit. We talked about this in the preseason that they have – uh, not recruited at the, at the top 10, top 15 level and, and are pretty young this year. So we, we actually felt that, that Michigan and Wisconsin had similar uh, talent profiles, had similar roster strength numbers coming in. But regardless, you know, Wisconsin, though a team that a lot of folks had in their top 15, had reached as high as I think 12th in our power ratings a, a few weeks ago, um, but they are just barely in the top 40 in a lot of our uh, talent metrics, including roster strength. Graham Mertz is a, a pretty talented player, uh, was almost a 97 rating coming out of, of uh, high school from 247 Sports, high, high four-star guy, but just hasn't been super productive. So his rating is, is an 87 individually. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that, that you could actually pull his rating down a little bit based on how he's played, especially, uh, you know, last week as, as many turnovers as he had, but you know, that, that does help 
I, I guess, prop up Wisconsin's talent numbers a little bit, but still they are, uh, you know, not a, they're not a roster full of blue chip guys. Uh, the offensive line, you know, we talked a lot about Notre Dame's offensive line struggling last week. Wisconsin couldn't run the ball for large stretches uh, of that game. They rank 45th in rushing team performance. They rank 45th in our offensive line team performance. Uh, they they struggled. They've been inconsistent on offense for sure. They rank 91st offensively in team performance, 104th uh, in passing. So they've got some some real issues on that side of the ball. Defensively, they're as good as they've ever been. They rank third in defensive team performance, number one against the run. They completely shut down Notre Dame last week, and they're pretty solid against the pass as well, ranking the top 30. Uh, at number 28. They're an experienced group defensively, especially in the back seven. And then that defensive line, you know, fairly thin. They've had some injuries and and wasn't the most experienced unit, but they're playing at a really, really high level. They rank number two in D-line performance uh, this year. So, you know, it's, it's, I'm a little bit on the fence. The, The offense has been bad. The defense has been quite good, but the talent profile you know, it isn't quite uh, what you would, you know, hope for if this is a team that that's really uh, going to be a, a team capable of knocking off what looks like one of the best teams in the Big Ten in Michigan. Michigan started the season in the 40s in our power ratings. Uh, their roster strength numbers are not much, if any, better, actually, than Wisconsin. They rank 44th in roster strength. 57th uh, on offense. However, they have played at a much, much higher level. They rank 8th in offensive team performance, 6th in rushing team performance, 23rd passing. They've got a solid 1-2 combo in Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins. Corum looks like an absolute future star. I mean, he has been incredibly impressive uh, after not getting a, a lot of work as a true freshman last year. Had heard some really good things coming out of uh, spring practice and fall camp, and, and he's carried it through into the fall and looked great. Hassan Haskins is, uh, you know, a, a very, very uh, capable back, bigger running back, and has done some, you know, had some big games as well, and has gotten in the end zone uh, quite a few times. Donovan Edwards is, a, you know, almost a five-star uh, true freshman, and he just hasn't you know, gotten a, a ton of work quite yet. Those look good when he has, but those first two guys have, have just been really, really solid. The offensive line is playing well, 23rd in offensive line performance. Cade McNamara is not a, you know, super impressive uh, from a physical standpoint quarterback, doesn't have huge numbers, but has been able to, to put the offense in good positions. And they've certainly missed Ronnie Bell. Uh, who went down with an ACL in, in week one. But, you know, they've, they've had some uh, decent guys and at least are, are fairly talented in the wide receiver room, a top 50 unit right now with the loss of Bell. Uh, but a lot of, you know, four-star guys, Cornelius Johnson being one of those, uh, A.J. Henning has, has stepped up and, and become a solid uh, player. They're a little bit thin, but at least it, it – the top end, they've got the talent, I think, to compete with a uh, Wisconsin defense. But the, the Michigan running rushing offense 
And the Wisconsin run defense is definitely a strength versus strength uh, scenario. Defensively, Aiden Hutchinson looks like one of the best players in college football, looks like a future first-rounder, uh, difference maker on the edge, on that defensive line, which, you know, statistically is only 52nd in our performance rating. So that unit, I think, has some room for improvement. But overall, the defense has played very, very well. Number 10 in defensive team performance, number 18 against the pass, number 13 against the run. Josh Ross, uh, starting linebacker, highly rated guy, went down with an injury uh, last week. He, I do not believe, returned. Sounds like he is questionable. That's something to watch because the the linebacker group is uh, a bit thin, is on paper their least talented and, and certainly least experienced group on uh you know, on defense for them. So something to watch there. But our numbers have, have uh, really, Michigan is, has exceeded our numbers. I mean, we we thought Michigan, uh, they would have trouble with Western Michigan. They blew them out. We had Washington uh, keeping that very, very close, favored until week one, I believe, and then it flipped. But we had Washington to cover. They took care of business. Northern Illinois, you know, beat a team badly that you're supposed to beat badly. Last week against Rutgers, you know, they jumped out hot, but then uh, it, it got a little tight in the fourth quarter, but still, you know, defensively, they, they played really, really well in that game. And the running game, you know, was able to carry them uh, well enough to a win. So I, I think by now, you know, Michigan has jumped all the way to 10th in our power ratings. That honestly seems a touch high. Uh, especially looking at the roster numbers where, you know, they, they recruit pretty well uh, top, you know, they were 11th in our recruiting ratings last year, 12th the year before, but the, you know, they're relying on a lot of young guys, inexperienced guys. Uh, so far this year, it's, it's worked out, but Wisconsin is definitely the, uh, seems like definitely the toughest opponent. Washington might've been the more talented opponent, uh, but something is, is a little off there, it seems. So I think Wisconsin will certainly be the toughest test. They do get this game uh, – no, excuse me. They, they have to go to Madison, which is a, a, a big deal after playing four straight home games. But, you know, at least right now, and a lot of it is team performance, and they've played weaker teams than Wisconsin, but we do have Michigan favored to win this game. Uh, we do have Michigan with a talent edge of 4.4 points. We do have a closer, uh, a, a very close margin in the uh, prism model. Wisconsin is favored by 1.65. So just barely, this is not an all three agree, uh, but it, it, it's very, very close to one with us being on Michigan plus one and a half. And, and like I said, we've been at 73% on wrong teams favored this year you could look at that and say hey that's you know that's where we really know our stuff or you can say hey that's gonna uh, maybe come back to earth a little bit so i i don't know necessarily how to feel about michigan being in this category but we we think that they you know should win this game and our projections 28 24 again you know higher scoring uh because it's a a, a total in the 40s i wish i i had done a little more to fix that maybe in, in the previous offseason. 
but at least as it stands right now, we see a, a Michigan win, you know, 28-24. All right, let's hear what Xavier has to say about this one. Wisconsin versus Michigan is going to be a weird matchup for me, especially after last week's performance from Wisconsin. Now, if Wisconsin had have come off of last week's game and had a, you know, even if they had lost to Notre Dame in a more respectable fashion, you know, where the score line was about third quarter, start of the fourth quarter, where it was uh, a one-possession game, then coming into this game against Michigan, I, w- I would feel a little bit more confident. You know, I, I would feel a little bit more relieved understanding that you know Wisconsin didn't have its best game but but its defense which has been the backbone of its football team for a while now would still be ready to come to play however what happened in that fourth quarter and watching Notre Dame essentially slice and dice them to pieces in a quarter in which also Graham Mertz once again was shown to be inept at you know throwing the football Going into this game against Michigan, I don't see how Michigan loses this ball game. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, obviously we we talked about earlier in the year how this year was going to have to be a make or break year for Harbaugh and Michigan, and so far so good for them, right? You know, they, they yes they haven't necessarily played anybody of any relevancy yet. Uh, they've been able to really you know run through their schedule. Last week was a little bit of a wake up call as I think they were looking ahead to this Wisconsin game, um, almost you know losing to Rutgers. Uh, who gave them a nice scare last week. But Michigan, for me, has give me, given me a sort of confidence coming into this week. And, and, and maybe that's a lie. Maybe Michigan hasn't given me a sort of confidence where more so Wisconsin has taken all the confidence out of me when it comes to their program. You know, Wisconsin, for me, at this point, ha- has shown such an inability to move the football against any relatively decent defense that I'm just too concerned about what's going to happen on Saturday. You know, Wisconsin, yes, they're being at home, so that's going to be huge for them. Graham Mertz needs a little bit of home cooking, needs a little bit of home loving, uh, needs a little bit of, you know, scenery change for him to, you know, hopefully get him back to, you know, first couple games of freshman year, Graham Mertz. Because uh, he's really lost the plot at this point. He's really struggling to find people uh, downfield. Wisconsin, who, you know, we, we talked about them le- losing guys like Quintez Cephas and, and, and company in the past. It's just clear that they do not have really anybody on the outside that it, that can give Graham Mertz a consistent target for one, but also was you know he's not taking care of the football either, and that's that's a major concern. It'd be different if Graham Mertz this past weekend just couldn't find anybody, right? Like if it was eight, like if his stat line was eight was eighteen of forty one, you know, two hundred yards and, and and a touchdown and a pick, right? But when you throw four, you know, that's where you go from okay just couldn't find anybody not a great outing to what in the hell was going on you know and and that's one of my biggest concerns also when you look at the defense you know I won't put too much blame on them in the second in that fourth quarter because of the fact that Notre Dame was essentially playing with you know half a field to work with every drive down uh you know because of the turnovers but at the same time you know Wisconsin or, or Notre Dame moved the ball on Wisconsin relatively easily. Um, if it wasn't for you know a, a couple of you know missed throws by Jack Cohn in the first half, this game could have really been out of hand far far early on. Um, and and that's my my biggest concern coming into this game against Michigan is that you're talking about an offense that yes once again hasn't really played anybody. However, has confidence, and that in and itself 
will lend them to playing a little bit better, maybe trying a little bit more things. When you when you feel like you have a confident bunch, you're, you're more susceptible to trying, uh, you know, you know, you're just, you're just trying better plays, trying bigger throws, trying deep balls, because you feel like you have a confidence level that obviously, you know, Wisconsin isn't walking in with, and that and that's my biggest concern coming into this ball game, is that Michigan's coming in on top of the world, Wisconsin, you know, being four and zero, being ranked fourteen, Michigan looks like at the very least they're a competent side this year versus last year's team, um, where you have Wisconsin who's going to complete opposite end, you know, coming off of you know, a nationally televised game. They were at Soldier Field, every all eyes on them, having an opportunity to really put their season back on the map. If they beat a number 12 Notre Dame team, instead they get bludgeoned in the fourth quarter. You know, they lose 41-13. Anybody who didn't watch the game and doesn't really understand how the, how close it was at one point, you know, it's pretty embarrassing. And ultimately, you're just like, what what can be done this week by Wisconsin to rectify the situation? And it's going to have to be a team effort. You know, you're going to have to see a better performance from Graham Mertz. You're going to have to see a better performance from, you know, his, 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 uh, his you know, wide receiver group. You know, and where I was looking for was skill group, you know, that that's running the ball. That's also, you know, he, you know, he was also strip sacked. So you need a better uh, situation from his offensive line as well this week. It just needs to be a complete team effort for them to win this ball game. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that, you know, and put that together. So in this case, I'm going to have Michigan winning this ball game as a confidence pick here. I think Michigan, like I said, comes in with more confidence. Yes, last week's game against Rutgers wasn't impressive in the slightest. However, I think that that was them looking looking over Rutgers, uh, a team that they feel like they should have beaten and did, and, and looking to this game, you know, on the road, their first quote-unquote real test in the Big Ten. And, and I got Michigan winning this game and going to 5-0. and Last game on the list here, but it is another ranked doozy. Ole Miss at Alabama. Bama is a 14.5-point favorite here, Nick. Uh, 79 and a half is the over on this game. So an enormous over to explosive offenses. I think the thing that is tripping most people up on this game is that Bama looked beatable against Florida. Ole Miss has looked pretty dominant. I think they're coming off a bye week. Ole Miss is as well. So, I mean, you know, uh, Alabama played Southern Miss didn't, it wasn't hard work for them, but they did play last week. So, uh, this one looks like a game that uh, maybe the betting is going to be split down the middle again. How do we see, uh, you know, the the Bama playing against Ole Miss here? Yeah, this this uh, I mean, you you called Arkansas and, and Georgia the game of the week. I might argue that this is is maybe the game of the week, but it's great this to have. One a- definitely could be closer. I would yeah, not I mean, be surprised it- at all. And it's it's uh, you know back to back. What a what a great start to uh, Saturday having that Arkansas Georgia game at noon and then this one at, at three thirty. And uh, anyway, but yeah, Ole Miss has has really really looked good, especially in offense. They rank number one nationally in that adjusted points per drive, four point eight four points per drive. Uh, very very impressive. That adjusted yards per play, they're second. So, you know, you couple that with an improving defense. And we talked about this in our SEC preview, and you know, just about everybody else said said the same thing. But, you know, if we just saw some modest defensive improvement from Ole Miss when they were, you know, near or at the very bottom of the SEC in just about every major category, 
triple digits nationally in a lot of these numbers, you know, the EPA, success rate, yards per pass, all that stuff. They were uh, just just did not, you know, play good defense and, and you know, statistically uh, certainly worked out that way. But they have made some modest improvement. Not the toughest uh, schedule to date, but but a couple of pretty solid teams. I mean, Louisville is a legitimate Power 5 team, has won some games since that week one, and, and that Ole Miss defense really shut them down for most of that game. Looked very, very good. Uh, Tulane gave Oklahoma so much trouble in uh the the early what was that week one right also uh but but you know Tulane gave Oklahoma tons of trouble that Oklahoma defense actually looked pretty good since uh but Tulane you know was able or, or excuse me Ole Miss uh was able to hold them to 21 you know played played decently well to the point where Ole Miss now ranks 55th in defensive team performance 56th against the pass 75th against the run and a lot of those advanced metrics you know, grayed out decently well, 40th in yards per pass attempt allowed, 41st in points per drive, 25th in yards per play allowed. Uh, A little bit worse in success rate, 89th, EPA per play is 65th. But, you know, that those are all well, you know, under uh, triple digits. So a, a significant improvement in a lot of ways. Sam Williams has been a little bit revitalized, uh, moving from linebacker to uh, really more of an edge rusher. He's off to a great start this year. The secondary, you know, we saw that they were taking a big step forward at the end of last year once Otis Reese was eligible after his transfer from Georgia. That seems to have carried over pretty well. And then offensively, man, I mean, Matt Corral, I I thought it was a, a huge long shot to... Uh, win the Heisman and thought that it was going to take, you know, kind of a, a an extraordinary statistical season to overcome what I thought would be a four or five loss Ole Miss team maybe. Uh, but right now, not only are they playing like a, a top 10 team, uh, they're seventh in our overall power ratings, fifth in team performance so far this year overall. Uh, but he's, he's playing legitimately like a Heisman contender and, and to the point where he's top two in every you know set of odds that I've seen in, in the last couple of weeks, he and Bryce Young. So uh, that one will be uh, just an excellent back and forth watching two uh, of what appear to be the best quarterbacks in college football right now. But Corral has, has uh, met or exceeded expectations so far. I mean, passing numbers are great. Uh, Ole Miss is sixth in passing team performance. They continue to run the ball really well, and Corral is part of that. Uh, he's he's put up some good numbers on the ground as well. The receiving core, you know, we weren't 100% sure who was going to step in for Elijah Moore, but they have, have uh, gotten production from all three, you know, uh, starters. Uh, Braylon Sanders was a little slower than uh, Dontario Drummond and Jonathan Mingo coming out of the gate, but you know he's he's really picked it up as well to where they don't have just that one guy who's going to get an overwhelming number of targets and receptions and big plays, but now they've got three guys. They can spread it around. They're even more dangerous because those three, I think, have uh, you know raised their, their level of play. So the receiving core is absolutely uh, a strength for this team, uh, the offensive line has played 
very, very well. They ranked third in offensive line performance. So, you know, take all that into account, plus the extra week of rest. And they, I think, are built to, you know, really give Alabama a game. Um, Alabama is, you know, basically as good as, as they have been. Uh, they did, I mentioned, fall to number two in our power ratings. And part of that is, you know, just Alabama, or Georgia has been so dominant. Uh, Alabama is, you know, third in offensive team performance, third overall in team performance, 18th in defensive team performance, pulled them down just a little bit. They have a less experienced quarterback, Bryce Young, even though he's played at a, an incredibly high level, you know, just uh, is, a, is a couple of points lower uh, from an individual player rating standpoint than JT Daniels. You can argue whether or not that is correct, but that's just sort of the way our calculation works out. But had to replace a ton of production at running back, receiver. It, it looks like they've replaced it quite well. The running back group is deep. Uh, we saw, you know, Jace McCullen take a, a large, uh, larger workload the last couple of weeks. Brian Robinson, a little bit, or you know, less than 100% health-wise, but hopefully he'll be back full strength this week. If not, they've got, you know, five-star after five-star in that group. John Mechie has really stepped up well into that number one receiver spot. Jamison Williams had three uh, what three touches and three touchdowns last week against Southern Miss, an 81-yard uh, reception and then two kick returns for touchdowns. You know, Jalil Billingsley had a big game after having been uh, in the doghouse, it seemed, for the first you know month of the season. But he's back now, and Cameron Latu is is. Because, you know he's he's put up some good numbers and kind of an unexpected uh, starting tight end role there as well. So they're able to implement two tight ends. They're able to uh, use their receivers. The freshmen are kind of coming along. JoJo Earl's getting more and more snaps. There was some talk that maybe IG Hall, one of the you know, spring uh, standouts, could potentially be working his uh, his way into the rotation. The offensive line has the best individual player probably in the country, or at least, you know, in, in the conversation in Evan Neal at left tackle, the rest of the unit has been a little bit in, in flux, but uh, they rank 38th in performance rating. So not bad for a unit that's uh, replaced three uh, starters and, and multiple draft picks. So they are, you know, uh, still a, a, still one of the elite offenses despite so much turnover. And then, defensively, though the numbers aren't quite there from a talent standpoint, this is maybe the best defense we've seen at Alabama in at least the last what, three, four years, I think. They've dealt with some injuries of their own. Will Anderson hasn't been 100%. They've been a little bit banged up in the secondary. Uh, LeBron Ray is still, you know, it seems like three years in a row been dealing with uh, some injuries, but they are, uh, you know, elite basically at every level from just a raw talent standpoint from uh an experience standpoint guys like will anderson as maybe the best pass rusher in college football malachi moore has been an all sec player in the past uh and they're deep at every position so uh, you know I, I can i can see why ole miss is in a position to give alabama a game. We talked a little bit in the long off season 
that maybe Ole Miss's offense was explosive enough that though they might not be the the top you know challenger to Alabama to win the SEC West, they might be the team that could uh, knock them off in a in a single game. And now, now it's here. Now you can kind of see, okay, yeah, this Ole Miss offense is what we thought it was. The Alabama defense, at least statistically, is the weaker of the two units. And the offense, as good as it is, you know, might might not be dominant against an Ole Miss defense that is improved. Uh, however, our projections still, I mean, we, you know, we're we're like a lot of folks out there where Alabama and Georgia have kind of separated themselves from the rest of the pack. And so even though Ole Miss has shot up our ratings, I mean, they were right on the edge of, of top 25 most of the offseason. They're in well inside the top 10 now. They're seventh. But there's still, still a pretty significant gap between number seven and number two. There's a pretty big gap between number two and number three. Uh, but, you know, we, we see Alabama – as rightly favored, as rightly favored by two touchdowns. Uh, I know this line opened at 20, I believe. I think it opened before last week's games uh, started, but it has come down significantly. There's a lot of – you could, I'm sure, find the, the breakdown of the, the money and the uh, public bets. I, I feel like uh, even if it's overwhelming on both sides, there's there was plenty – of smart money, uh, who was on Ole Miss early. We have it projected at, you know, not, not a big, big edge between, uh, you know, our projections and the odds makers, but we do have Alabama covering. We have this as a, a high scoring game for our projections, well short of 79 and a half. Uh, but we have Alabama winning 43-27. This one, it's a lot of points. 14 and a half against a really, really good Ole Miss team is a lot of points. But as much as I complained about being on uh, road favorites and road teams and all that, at least we're on the home team here. We're on the home team with Notre Dame and, and Clemson as well. But this one, I don't love it, but I don't hate it quite as much as some of the others. So I, I think I think we might be on the right side here. Yeah, Ole Miss could win. Absolutely. It could win outright. They could play it, you know, kind of like Florida, where they just sort of hang around, stay in, or, or you know, trade touchdowns back and forth and lose close. But I, 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 I like this one a little bit more than the others, and, and think that Alabama should win and and certainly can cover. You want to take a guess at the because uh, I pulled up the numbers. How what percentage of cash is on uh, Bama or Ole Miss? I'm. I'm good, and I don't. I don't look at at these things. Uh, yeah, but I seventy five percent on Ole Miss, something 80%. like that. Eighty oh, percent. Yeah. yeah, I mean so. to come down to come down a touchdown basically, and I know it's been a full week, uh, but still, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. You you know they, they have to be motivated to 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 move it quite that much. So yeah, I mean, and I understand it. I mean, this is a much improved Ole Miss team. This could be a scenario where our models and some like ours are a little slow. Although I, I feel like we've captured Ole Miss, I mean, top seven, right? I mean, that, you know, that's it, not like we're underrating Ole Miss. Uh, right. I, I don't, I don't even know if they're, what are they in the AP poll? Are they top 10? 
I think they're 14. They're 14. Okay. So yeah, we're, we think they're stronger than, uh, than, than the pollsters do. So that is, I think, right. But also, uh, you know, shows that we're not too slow on Ole Miss. I'm pretty sure. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I, I completely understand, uh, people thinking that, that Ole Miss, this is a game that they're going to be in. Uh, yeah. but also, you know, Alabama is still Alabama and, and, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like maybe the, the, the sort of rumblings about Alabama being vulnerable and the excitement for Ole Miss might have, have moved the two sides a little bit closer in opinion than maybe they should be just yet. If that makes any sense. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's going to be an exciting game and, and, you know, I hope it is a good game. If we, if we miss this one but it's the best game of the week. I'm going to be a okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, I hope, I hope it's a fun game and uh, you know, uh, Alabama is still very, very good. They're not the uh, team they were last year though. And I think that's where the disconnect comes uh, down in this game is uh, you know um, that, that maybe they're beatable because they're not the team they were last year, but you know uh, they weren't the team they were last year, any other year either and uh you know uh they were still very very dominant so this one should be a, a fun game let's hear what xavier has to say about it old miss alabama now now this game oh this this is this game now this game gets me excited right obviously I'm, I'm an sec homer a little bit so obviously i'm a little bit more excited for this game than others um but this game gets me so excited because i think what we're seeing in the, coming into this matchup are two teams that are maybe you know trending a little bit closer to each other than we originally thought you know coming into the year we thought alabama was going to be this this un you know unbeatable outfit with bryce young at the helm who just was going to be able to dominate on both sides of the ball you know and was going to be able to just kind of run through their schedule like we expect you know that alabama of old not the case and on the other end we've seen an old miss team that you know since their big win against louisville in week one has just you know handled business against two non-conference teams in austin p and tulane coming into this matchup against alabama and have done it with their offense yes their defense has also looked decent uh, but their offense obviously has put up 61 and 54 points in the last two games respectively as well as putting 43 points up in their first game of the season um and coming into this game and it's funny with the way that alabama looked last year you would have thought that they could have won any kind of game, whether that's, you know, a big game as far as, you know, or, or excuse me, a physical matchup where they had to run the football a bunch and, and, and you know, you know, chew clock and be able to play keep away. And at the same time, you felt like they could win a shootout. I'm going to be honest with you. If this game turns into a shootout, I'm, I'm terrified for Alabama. I'll be perfectly honest with you uh, because I don't think that Bryce Young at this current point has a rep you know has a rapport with the receivers that's good enough to win a shootout uh i think matt corral does i think matt corral has the confidence coming in i think this is this is matt corral's heisman moment you know this is very much reminiscent of, of johnny manzel um you know all those years ago going into brian denny you know and, and walking away with the win and ultimately winning the heisman the same situation can happen with matt corral where if he's able to do that with the number 12 team in the country um really putting the rest of the sec on no west on notice and the rest of the country on notice being the number one beating the number one team in the country this would be his Heisman moment um and this game I think like I said coming into this game it's much closer than I than I think people really realize uh coming into the year you know and I think we we circled this game possibly as a game that would be competitive for Alabama but this is now I think a game that people genuinely think Alabama could lose um I think and you can see that 
not just from you know what has been a a consistent a, a very considerable you know shift in the tone of Alabama football since the Florida game, but I, but I also you know am not shocked to necessarily see the lines change in this game. You know I think the lines you know this you know going into this year you know they opened at seventeen and a half. You know I would love to see what the line of this game was in July or in August, right before we saw Alabama suited up and play against Florida, you know, and before we saw Ole Miss's offense against Louisville. This game now uh, going into Saturday is at 14 and a half. Only a two-touchdown favorite is Alabama going into this game. And I think that's, you know, I think that's really, I think that's rather reasonable. Um, But like I said, if this game turns into a shootout, which it did last season, which, you know, once again, you know, I talked about this with the Michigan situation with confidence. Lane Kiffin has confidence against this Alabama defense. An Alabama defense that didn't look great against a mobile quarterback in, in Emory Jones. And let's be completely honest with ourselves. If it wasn't for a hellaciously bad first quarter, Florida wins that game and dominated that entire second half. And I think that Lane Kiffin's going to look at the scheme that Dan Mullen had, you know, with moving Emory Jones, with forcing those linebackers to, you know, to not only play the pass, but also play a running quarterback, uh, forcing those defensive ends, those you know, those highly touted and, and vaunted defensive ends that we talked about that can get to the QB this year, and forcing them to kind of you know play on their heels a little bit, not just coming downfield like they were able to do against Derrick King. Something that I thought Miami would have done, I think Ole Miss and, and Florida definitely let out the blue, blueprint. But I think Ole Miss could perfect because of Matt Corral's ability to run, but also Matt Corral's you know rep you know rapport with his receivers. You know this guy has you know has his receivers back and has the confidence. To throw to them at any juncture, whether that's a 50-50 ball, whether that's a you know a back shoulder fade, whether that's a slant on third and three, he has the confidence to do so, and he also is going to play winning football. Something that you know we we weren't sure Emory Jones could do for four quarters. We knew he would give Alabama one or two. I'm not so sure Matt Corral would you know is going to give Alabama a drive or give Alabama a turnover. You know, so coming into this game, man, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I think Alabama will win. I think when you look at it from uh, from a perspective of one, this game's at home for Alabama, which I think is massive. Um, I think if Bryce Young had to go down, you know, to a, another hostile environment once again, like I said in the Florida take earlier this year, uh, or when they played Florida earlier earlier this year, that the one way to get to a young QB is to put him in a hostile situation and force him to make big plays. Luckily for them in that ball game, they got out to such a uh, big lead early on that they weren't necessarily having to come up with massive plays, big plays, but not maybe game-defining plays, if that makes sense. Um, whereas I think, you know, if this game was on the road and Ole Miss started off, you know, 14-0 or 14-3, that'd be a different situation for a Bryce Sharp. You know, so I think with this game being at home and Brian Denny, it'll help out a lot or help out a little bit uh, with that whole situation. Um, I think ultimately you'll see him play better than he did against Florida because of that fact, because he's at home. Um... And I got Alabama winning this game. You know, Alabama doesn't typically lose games at home, especially big games. Um, and more importantly, as I've found out, you know, multiple times in my life as a Georgia fan, fan more recently, you don't beat Kip, you don't beat Saban if you're a you know a Saban assistant. And, and you know, his record is still undefeated, and I think it will remain undefeated after this Saturday. I think Ole Miss, want, like Florida, will give Alabama a legitimate scare, which I think for Alabama fans should show the lack of gap that is maybe present in the SEC for them um, this year. But I, I think Alabama can go ahead and and you know win this ball game and remain number one in the country. Uh, I don't expect an impressive win. I would be you know honestly. I'll go out on a limb. I'll pick the under here. Here, um, I'll take. I'll take. Uh, excuse me. I'll take Ole Miss to cover 
not pick the under, but I'll take Ole Miss to cover here. I think Ole Miss loses by 7 or 10 instead of 14 uh, points, and, and I think they could keep it relatively close, which wouldn't surprise me in the slightest, slightest if they can do so. They have the offensive capabilities, and if their defense can get a couple of stops, um, which we've seen Alabama not be able to run the football this year, then I wouldn't be surprised if Ole Miss, you know, late in the fourth quarter had a chance to cover with a field goal or with a touchdown, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, so I've got Alabama winning and Ole Miss covering uh, 14 and a half this week. All right, Nick, you mentioned it at the top of the show here, kind of, or at least in the beginning. Lots of all three agree. So uh, run through them real quick. Yeah, I'm not going to give much detail. Uh, and we've talked about actually quite a bit of them since since most of our uh, predictions or, or games that we kind of broke down fall into this category. Uh, but keep in mind, I hate these. They might be right. <laughs> they, they, you know, we might go... We might go 15 and nine. And if we did, I will be ecstatic. We might go six and whatever that is, 20 uh, or, you know, six and, and 18 or whatever. I don't, I don't, I have no idea what ways this, this is going, but here's what we got Houston plus four and a half, BYU minus nine, Tennessee plus three, Texas minus five, Memphis minus 11 and a half, USC minus seven, Notre Dame plus two and a half. Eastern Michigan plus two and a half, Alabama minus 14 and a half, Oregon minus eight, Oklahoma minus 10 and a half, Ohio State minus 15, FIU plus 10 and a half, Texas Tech plus seven and a half, UCF minus 16, Arkansas State plus two, Southern Miss plus two and a half, Texas A&M minus seven, Baylor plus three and a half, Liberty plus one and a half, Kansas plus 34. Clemson minus 16, South Alabama plus 12, and Washington plus two and a half. And now BYU, Texas, Memphis, USC, Oregon, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and UCF are all road favorites. So I I do not like those. And then everybody but Notre Dame, Alabama, Texas A&M, Clemson, and South Alabama are road teams. I don't like that either. I think it's just a weird kind of quirky schedule where that sort of happens. So hopefully it doesn't completely destroy us this week. But uh, wrong team favored have been good for us. Certainly could regress, come back to, uh, you know, reverse to the mean a little bit, regress to the mean. Uh, But we think Houston should be favored. Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Arkansas State against Georgia Southern, who just fired its head coach. So that's a little bit of a weird situation. Liberty, and Washington, who Washington opened as a favorite against Oregon State, and then immediately, uh, like, flipped to, to that, that line moved four or five points. So, you know, not great signs <laughs> overall. Uh, but, uh, hey, could, could be a weird week. Doesn't mean we're wrong. We very well could be. I am totally bracing for a 40% week. Uh, but every once in a while, you know, I'll, I'll hate a list, and, and it turns out okay so uh again we're not in it to sell picks i'm not here to try to convince you we know everything i absolutely do not uh but uh it's it's going to be it's going to be a weird week it's going to be a a a pretty uh uh you know pretty pretty anxious uh waiting for saturday so we'll see I mean, you sound anxious talking about it. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I understand that. All right, well, that is going to wrap it up 
for us this week. And, uh, you know, uh, like, like we said before, please check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash CFP Winning Edge. Uh, follow us on Twitter. It's at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. Is there, there's a lot of good games this week, Nick. Are, is there one that isn't, you know, Ole Miss, Alabama, or, um, Arkansas and Georgia. What is your favorite one that you're looking forward to watching? Just uh, sitting down and watching without anything on the line. Uh, what one are you just for the competition? I'm I'm curious about Iowa at Maryland because two four and teams. Iowa is a team that our projections have really historically been pretty pretty solid uh, on, and they haven't budged basically i mean we had iowa as a top 20 team in the preseason and they're 17th right now something like that uh in in our projections even though they're top five in uh the ap poll yeah they're 17th maryland is a team who's 45th in our projections, so we're probably a little lower on maryland than you know the the pollsters they're not ranked but i i would guess they're in that uh, you know, receiving votes category and, and you know, probably on, on the, the, the just outside the top 25. Very different styles. Talia Tagovailoa looks like, uh, you know, a, a really solid quarterback. Iowa has not been able to get much going offensively and, and pretty much other than Tyler Goodson, their offense has really, really struggled. Um, Maryland looks improved. Iowa looks solid, but not spectacular. Uh, that's a road, you know, uh, highly ranked team going on the road, uh, pretty, pretty long trip. So that, that one jumps out to me immediately. Uh, and it's on, you know, it's a, it's a Friday night game. So it's going to be a lot of eyes on that one. Uh, one that is probably not on anybody's radar. It isn't all three agree for us. Uh, but that, that intrigues me more than it should probably is Memphis at Temple because Memphis is a team that I'm kind of rooting against <laughs> because <laughs> our numbers have been so low on them. Temple is a team that early in the projections uh, we were a good bit higher on than we should have been. And so it looked like, oh, yeah, they're going to be a, you know over – I think it's three wins was was their win total, so that's a that's a pretty big win. We're or a pretty big game as far as our our futures go, uh, because we're on Memphis under seven and a half, which did not look good after three weeks, and Temple over three, which is still in play because they play both Navy and USF. But if somehow, and this is a game where Memphis has to travel to Temple. I would expect the line to be bigger than 11, and we're on Memphis by two touchdowns, I think, in every every model. But if somehow, some way, Temple were to pull that upset off, uh, it would be huge for a couple of uh, season uh, win total bets. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I don't expect it. But if, if uh, we could get a little bit of luck on a week uh, where we need a, a you know, uh, well, well, where we're heavy on a – road favorite double digit road favorite that is one i would not mind a weird result and temple knocking them off for no good reason yeah 
five fumble recoveries in the red zone or something uh, would be great. I would I would absolutely welcome us losing that one if, if it meant that Temple could uh, somehow get a win. I mean, I wouldn't hold my breath on Temple. Nope, I, I'm not at all. <laughs> you know, Memphis is going to win by seven, <laughs> and so we lose. So we lose both sides. I, yeah, I, I completely. That's what's going to happen. I mean, that is uh, that is the better's mindset right there, a hundred percent. So, uh, all right. Well, that will wrap it up for us. Like I said, follow us on Twitter, uh, Bogman Sports, CFP Winning Edge, Xavier underscore Trish, and we will see you guys next week. Good luck, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, and we'd like to extend a quick word of thanks to those of you who have helped us keep the show ad-free, helped fund off-season research and improvements, Provide feedback so we can best provide value to our community. To join us for as little as $5 per month, sign up at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge.